This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. How you doing? Today's the day. Graduation day for my son. <laughs> oh, what a great day. It's that day where you're you're not sure it was ever going to come. And even until up till yesterday, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. He was. But I don't know. So anyway, great day today. Uh, welcome to the program. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting things today. Credit. Is your credit getting you down? How It seems like credit is becoming such a big deal. Like they actually want you to pay your bills. No. Yeah. When did this happen? I don't know. I mean, I get those bills in the mail, but who looks at their mailbox anymore? Right. All that stuff just goes into recycling. Didn't we used to just use cash? Couldn't you just write a check? Possibly. But now it's all about credit. And then you tell – everybody tells you you need your credit score and you've got to have a good credit score. Yeah. And it's all about credit. Well, we talked about yesterday. That guy God has yeah. an 820. This is some guy. He runs guy. a jewelry store in Brooklyn. Yeah. God he, Gaslov or something I yeah. think his last name was. But he has an 820. So that's a pretty good score. It's a great score. Yeah. But he couldn't – what happened? He couldn't get a credit card or was something? Was it Equifax, the credit agency, wouldn't yeah. recognize that that was his name as no. God, so they went to court to I mean, 820, that is a pretty – that's a, a good pretty, score. That's a very celestial score. I'd fight over that score. That's a heavenly score. But – so credit scores. Do you guys know your credit score? Don't say it out loud, but do you know it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Is it higher than 300? Absolutely. <laughs> good. There's a billboard I passed that goes, you got a 520 credit score? No problem. We can get you a house. Oh my God. I think, didn't that cause a collapse yeah. of the entire yeah. there system? Was, there were some policies that so, needed changing there. Today we'll be talking credit and what you should be doing with your credit, how you rebuild your credit, and your credit report. What happens if stuff on your report is wrong? That's a big deal. I'm named after my father. Yeah. We have a problem with that occasionally. Every once in a while, you get his credit report. Yeah, no, it's good. My dad has great credit, as do I, so it's not it's a good. problem. It's yeah. just sometimes his loan will end up over on my uh, you know, reports or something. We get that wow. fixed real quick. No problem. You might be able to make hay with that. As long as we all, we both stay current, it's not going to pull us down. Right. As but... long as one of you doesn't fall apart, yeah. together you will rise. Um, we'll be talking about that. Also, later in the, the show, uh, Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, will be joining us. That's, that's a big deal. So let me guess. There's um, Klingon. No. Vulcan. No. That's oh. a different type of oh. thing. That, okay. that That's different. This is love languages. Oh. So some, some people <laughs> like – some people like – going to name some languages. To, you know, they like gifts. They like yeah. service. They like time. Emojis? No. Oh. No. No, it's it's a relationship thing. Okay, I'll, I'll have to listen. Yeah, you you're, understand. You won't understand it. <laughs> but your wife called me about it last night and okay. really wanted to make sure you were listening. All me. right. So in the third hour, be listening. <laughs> Gary Chapman, he'll be joining us. That'll be uh, that'll be way. You know, that's that's a big deal because that as a relationship coach, that's what I end up talking about pretty much all day, every day. We'll also uh, in the second hour be talking about energy. High energy, low energy. 
Apparently sleep, mm. what you eat. It's a factor. It's a factor. But another huge part of the whole thing is your energy impacts everything. Your mood, your you know, your anger, your ability to influence people. Mm. We'll be getting into that as well. Anyway, it's going to be a great program and some crazy stuff in the news. I mean, really. Last week we heard about the Pentagon and uh, a certain uh, testing facility sending out anthrax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Happened to be in uh, – Western the western deserts of Utah, and uh, they apparently that that number's grown. Last week Uh-oh. we initially heard it was nine, then it was eleven. Lo- different locations. They've continued the uh, research and studying into the records, and it's now fifty-one laboratories, seventeen states, and three countries. But how many got the live anthrax? All of them, <gasps> in- including the Pentagon. Oh, but they were wow. they, they say they're small enough doses that they wouldn't infect anybody. They're just for testing samples. It's just and so, a little and then poison. they had a press conference yesterday where they showed all the packing they go into yeah. and they said anyone handling these, it would be fine. Like in case it broke open, I worked at a package facility. Yeah. yeah. Not every single package is handled with the utmost care. What do you mean? Some of them get tossed like a football. What? Yeah, I know it happens. Uh, accidentally, In, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with accidentally. Yeah, like they're accidentally thrown twenty feet pa- more. Wow, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but so all of a sudden a, you're throwing anthrax boxes. Yeah, you, well, you don't know what it is. Yeah, could be anything. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't throw it if it was anthrax. You would know. Don't be throwing the anthrax. Well, they don't mark the box. Caution: anthrax. Uh, maybe they should. Yeah. They they should market live anthrax. There, there is some thought about why are we shipping this through you know our, our postal and package delivery systems in this country. But hey, I don't think anyone. A better question is why not? <laughs> so <laughs> why wouldn't you? That's a story that's continuing. Come on, it's they, they are high quality. Hey, uh, by the way, on that, did we ever figure out how that how, how they had the mistake? How do you make a mistake like that? They thought they were dead. Uh, samples of anthrax, and they were live. So we were still sending dead samples, yeah. and and they, and they said it was a system error, not a human error. Who created the system? The humans. Uh-huh. So it's always a human. Well, error. I think this is the moment when the robots are turning against it's, us. <gasps> it, it, may, it might this be the first it. step. Yeah. It might be the first step. Uh, we've talked about AI. They're, just, and... they're testing to see our our reactions to things. Yeah, I'm the computer you. intentionally sent live anthrax. Artificial intelligence yeah. now starting this to send live anthrax. My favorite ex FIFA executive, Chuck Blazer. Who? Chuck Blazer. Okay. He ran Concacaf, hmm? as we talked about before. Yeah, and uh, James's favorite is Concacaf. The uh, he and others right, he he's he and uh, he told a uh, U.S. federal judge that he and others on the organization's ruling panel took bribes to vote for South Africa as the site of the 2010 World Cup. This his his testimony the inf- the evidence he turned over wow. is now made public. Here we go. And so they're kind of going through was beginning in or around 2004 and continuing through 2011. I and others on the executive committee agreed to accept bribes in conjunction with the selection of the South South Africa to host the 2010 World Cup. He also admitted to accepting bribes in 92 to vote for the country that would host the 98 World Cup, which I believe was France. Hmm. That's huge. So he's like, oh, yeah, we did it. Here we, and here's oh, how yeah. we did it. And this is because he didn't pay his taxes and he got caught. Man. Or else we wouldn't know anything about this. Lincoln Chaffee, the former Rhode Island governor, yes. has uh, announced his uh, <gasps> Democratic presidential. He'll be the fourth candidate the in, huh? 
He uh, he was at George Mason University. Joan joins a narrow field. Well, he announced seven things he wants to change. What? He wants the U.S. to shift to the metric system. Hmm. He wants to end capital punishment. He wants to bring Edward Snowden home. He wants to integrate Russia into the family of industrial nations. Okay. He wants to ban ambassadorships for sale. <laughs> Make your ambassador actually know the language of the country they're going to be the ambassador of. It's almost like he's trying to bring down FIFA. He too. wants to repair relations with Venezuela, Bolivia, and Ecuador. Oh, wow. And he wants to stop drone strikes. So is this the, – the, those are the seven things he wants to do. Do to change America right now? Yes, it, I it, think the biggest issue. Everything else on there seems doable. The metric system might be his biggest stumbling block. There, yeah. What's his point there? Why not? The rest of the world does it. Well, sure, but the rest of the world does FIFA bribery. So apparently, so did we. <laughs> I know, but we're the ones now bringing him to justice. <laughs> so yeah, there's Let's his just idea. Do it there, Rick doing. Perry, and now uh, opened his. Uh, a presidential type website he should announce sometime today oh my heavens and uh he's talking about his his tested leadership proven results jobs especially uh there are already nine declared uh candidates uh jeb bush will uh likely jump in around june 15th they say this is this but is cool rick perry needs to perform better than he did last year or last time we had the, the, the presidential run. Go ahead and play that. Three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> Com- so, commerce, education, and uh, the... Um, uh, uh, EPA? Yeah, EPA. This was, there this you was go. bad. No, okay. Let's talk, let's talk deficit. Seriously? Um, Is EPA no, the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the... Uh, uh, agencies of government. EPA needs goes to on. be rebuilt. But you no can't. Doubt about but you that. can't name the third one. The third agency of government. Yeah. I would. I would do away with the education. Uh. Uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, the metric system and agency. Let's see. I can't. The third one. I can't. Sorry. Oh jeepers. So, so he needs to do better than that. Well, yeah. You know what? You might want to just not number things. Maybe. Numbers say, might be his There's tri- a bunch of things point. we want to get a, get rid of. Let me give you two. Yeah. Let me here's one. Here's so the he, second one. Rick Perry's expected to announce today. Yeah. That's good. Well, I wonder what Rick would say about the metric system. I don't think he's in favor. I don't know. Well, he he'll attempt to announce his presidential bid. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So, I'm going to run for um what was it again, Jimmy? Uh, Jimmy, what am I running for? I forgot that. What was that again? Wow. Okay, well, it's getting this the field is it's filling up. It's filling up. Uh what I want to know is who's which one of those candidates is going to help me with my credit score? Which one's going to make it easier to manage my uh my credit? It's a crazy little battle we are all undertaking. When it comes you got to make your money, you got to save your money, you got to pay your bills, you got to do a lot of stuff. But uh, if you get a little behind, sometimes it's hard to dig out. Today we'll be talking about the truth about credit, how to fix your credit, what to watch out for, some of the most common mistakes. Does it really matter? Can you just be a cash guy that just brings the cash and not even worry about your credit? We're going to be talking to uh, Stephen Palmer from Premier Credit Company or Consulting. It's a a firm here in, in Utah, but he's a good friend. And uh, he's somebody we can trust when it comes to questions about your credit. We'll be talking about it up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, according to a report from the Corporation for Enterprise Development, 56% of consumers have subprime credit scores, and that means that they are unable to take advantage of the best or even average interest rates, you know, if they need to go borrow some money. The very best rate and terms go only to the people who have excellent credit and add to the fact that home ownership has actually dropped to the lowest level in the last 20 years. If you have bad credit, it's difficult or even impossible sometimes to get out of your financial mess. Joining us today is Stephen Palmer, partner at Premier Credit Consulting here in Draper, Utah. And uh, he's here to teach us how to fix our bad credit. Stephen, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here. The um, I, I've always... To me, I don't know. You need to borrow money. There's times you need money. And they're using your credit score in order to get the money, right? Right. But can't I just go with cash? Yeah, that's a great question. Whatever happened to good old cash where you could just keep it in your boot and you keep it under your bed? Why, why Why is the world so credit driven instead of just cash driven? Yeah, that's interesting. In today's world, you really have to build a credit score. Yeah. A credit score has become the adult report card. Is that how I hate so, report cards? <laughs> so you have you have to play the game, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's fair or not. Yeah. You need to be in the game. And it's not just about getting credit in the future. Your, your auto insurance rates, your opportunity to get employment, uh, landlords. I mean, the list goes on and on on those that pull credit and evaluate our responsibility as adults. So that's really how they grade if you're if you're trustworthy, if you're responsible. Exactly. That's why I was trying to figure out why would it matter on your car insurance? Well, it, it, there's not a not a direct correlation, but it, they absolutely pull credit. You may never have a claim, but you'll pay higher insurance rates if you have low credit scores. Oh, vey. It's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I've always known that, but I'm thinking it just seems like a a plot against the American person, or against against people. Come on. And you would think if you were responsible, if you you paid for everything in cash, that that would demonstrate that responsibility. But you're going to have a thin credit history. You're going to have low credit scores. You need a track record, and credit creates the track record. Absolutely. Good or bad. Absolutely. My daughter recently turned 18. And the first thing I did is, is we ran down to the credit union and we got our credit card. That might sound crazy. What yeah, are you doing? that's crazy, Dad. But it went with an hour lecture on the good use of credit. Okay. And you know, it's funny now. I check what she's, what's happening, and she is so worried about paying any interest or being late on a payment. She pays before the statement goes out. <laughs> and so it's you know, it's that's it's, actually. But you've trained her. That's great. Yeah, and it's you know, it's about teaching correct principles and letting them govern themselves. And and. And really, we have to use credit. We want to build a, a strong credit profile because it does impact us in so many different ways. Does And this is an interesting time. So my son's graduating today from high school. We've, you're going to have thousands, hundreds of thousands of grads. And they're, if, most of them have probably never sat down and learned from a credit expert about a credit card. Well, they haven't, and their parents haven't either. Right. You know, we don't learn it in school. There's really not many opportunities to understand credit. The Consumer Federation of America has graded the American consumer. They've given us a graded D on understanding credit. Are you serious? And yet it's core to our lives, and yet we're all pretty much failing. Exactly. That's messed up. That's why you're here. (laughs) That's why you're here. So what are some of the mistakes we're making? Well, number one, those that don't build a positive credit profile. We need to have a credit card, and we need to use it. Do you You need 500? 
Do I need? Does my wife need one from every store we go to? No, she must be talking to my wife. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, my wife used to get every every time there was a a credit card that you get ten percent off, she would get a credit card every time. And we actually, I went once and I and I closed all of those credit cards, thinking that would be a positive. Um, thing for my credit, yeah. and it turned out my credit score went down because, because I lost you... all of that credit history. That's one mistake that a lot of people make. So keep them open, even if you're not using them. Keep right. them open, right? What we want is we want to have as much credit available to us as possible and use the least amount possible. Now, even if so, even if I'm not going to use the card, have it, maybe even just use cut it, it up <laughs> so you don't use it. But keep it, yeah, yeah, keep it for sure. Use a little bit of credit. But that's thirty percent of a credit score is based off of utilization. Okay. And so what we want to do is use very very little of it and have as much available to us as possible. Mm. That having a, a mix of credit is ten percent of our credit score. I mean, we sometimes think we look back and, at our credit, and most people know how what they can do to hurt their credit score, right? But they have no idea what to do to build their credit score. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, we don't. I mean, we know get a card, spend a lot of money, but then. If you're saying pay it off basically every single month, or do we want to? Yeah, we do. I, I mean, there's two reasons. One is your credit score. We want to build a, a strong credit profile, but we also don't want to pay interest. Right. And so some people think that well, you can't get a good credit score unless you're paying interest. You know, I, I have credit scores over 800. I've never paid a penny of interest. I put everything on a credit card. It's convenient. It's great for getting cash back. Yeah. But also, I pay it off every single month in full. And so I have I have great utilization, and so we need to use that. You know, if you're using a debit card, it's not building your credit profile. Oh, really? So a debit card's terrific. Yeah. You know, and and you, and it's money you already have. You should only spend money that you have, but put it on a credit card instead of a debit card. Pay it off every month. Don't pay any interest. Um, what is so? Just tell us what are some eight hundred plus is a good credit score. Really, seven hundred and fifty plus is a great credit score. You're going to get the very best rates. And what what is a what's a poor average credit score? I mean, like, what's one that you actually see regularly? Well, we we work with a lot of people who are in the low to mid five hundreds up to the low six hundreds. In order to get an FHA loan, you really need to be about a six twenty six forty credit score. Hmm. And so, a lot of our clients are trying to get into a home, and that's not a great credit score, but it's it's sufficient enough to get into a home loan, and and that is is where a lot of people want to be. Is it? Um, I guess you can improve your score, but you can't. Can you improve it quickly? Yeah, that's the great question. Most people's strategy to improve their credit score is to wait and hope. Yeah, and yeah, just hope you pay more off or something will happen. And frankly, it may never get to where you want it to be, or it'll take years. We have most of our clients in a matter of six months are able to increase the credit scores fifty to hundred points or more. Hmm. And just by doing by. What? What do we do? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, some of it is building a strong credit profile. It's getting the right utilization. It is um, it, it's getting the right credit mix. But yeah. also, we work with credit bureaus. We work with creditors directly. It's amazing what you can do if you proactively work with the credit bureaus and creditors if you do have negative items in your credit report to try to have those removed or reported differently. That's. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's a great way to put it. It's the report card. And it's not going away. If it's going to impact everything, then we need to be more educated on it, right? We need to get more serious about it. Absolutely. It's funny because credit is perceived as a negative sometimes in our society. 
And it's just like the, the quote of um, money is the root of all evil. It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the yeah. root of all evil. Yeah. Credit is not a bad thing. The misuse or abuse of credit is the, is the bad thing. Yeah. Every great society in the history of the world has had access to credit. Those people who come to the United States, many times that this is the land of opportunity. It's the access to credit that, that's valuable, but we don't want to abuse it. Right. And you know, when I was born in 1968, there was $1.5 billion of revolving credit debt in, in our country. Yeah. Today, it's a trillion dollars. Holy cow. So you see what's happening with individuals is what's happening with our, our country. Yeah. The first time we hit a trillion dollars debt in our country was during the Reagan administration. Uh, we hit $10 trillion under George W. Bush, yeah. and we're close to $20 trillion now just in the last six years, or we will have in, in the Obama administration. Oh, my so, heavens. So it's, what the country's doing, we're doing as individuals, we, we love to have access to credit, but we've we got to be very careful with credit or it's going to come back and it, bite us. It'll bite us. Okay, let's do this. We're talking with Stephen Palmer. And go to his website, PremierCredCo, PremierCredCo.com. And um, we'll take a break and come back. I want to know more about, like, student loans are on your it's, – it's part of your whole credit history. Yeah, absolutely. Your home, every your car payments, everything. We're talking about how to improve your credit score, how to even go review your uh, credit report and, and make sure it's accurate. More with uh, Stephen Palmer. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're helping you understand your credit uh, a little bit better, hopefully. And joining us is Stephen Palmer. He's a partner at Premier Credit Counseling. And if you go to the website, premiercredco.com, premiercredco.com, uh, it's a, just a great resource and tool there to understand. A lot of uh, FAQs uh, frequently ask questions about your credit. But um, when we get into it, Stephen, so again, Stephen Palmer, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. But when we get, when we get into it, we have a hard time, I think, because um, I don't – okay, I don't like people in my business. And it seems like everywhere I go, they'll say, yeah, we're just going to pull a credit report. And then you're like, I'm thinking you have that much access to everything I'm doing. Are those credit reports accurate? And how do they get all the information? Yeah, well, those are two good questions. First of all, as far as accuracy, it's interesting. Why would you not have the same score with all three credit? Yeah, you'd think, come on. I mean, if they were all perfectly accurate, then you would suspect that would be right. the case. I, I often say I go around and do CE classes here in Utah for real estate agents, and, and I'll say, hey, a husband and wife who typically have had the same credit history never have the same credit scores. <laughs> and I said that in one in one uh, audience, and, and, and the guy stood up and he said, actually, I've seen it once, and he has it framed above his desk. <laughs> really? Because it's so uncommon. Yeah, yeah. So there, is, there are a lot of inaccuracies as far as our credit scores. There's, there are things that are outdated, things that can't be validated, and it can be very challenging working with the credit bureaus and trying to get those resolved. Can anybody, can any company attach something to your credit report? Well, 
When you say, I mean, any company that I've done business with, they have the right to attach something to my credit report. Well, if they've extended credit to you, then they're going to report that credit history, and they're going to report on whether you've paid on time, whether you've been late, whether it's a collection. Yeah, you know, you've defaulted on that, and they absolutely can do that. Also, companies can that you don't even know, like we talked about auto insurance. They will go and pull your credit without your knowledge. And then they will make a determination on what your rate is going to be partly based off of that credit score. So if, you're, if too many people are polling reports and too many reports are going out, that impacts your credit, doesn't it? That's a really good question. Ten percent of our credit score is based off of new credit. So if you're out trying to get new credit, you're applying for car loans, a home mortgage, whatever, that's going to impact your credit score. Ten percent. It's not a huge percentage, but it will impact. Those are called hard polls. There are also soft pulls. In other words, if you go and pull your own credit because you want to make sure it's accurate, that's not an impact in your credit score. Okay. It's a soft pull. The auto insurance, they're going to check not only first you know, when, they, when you get the insurance, but they're going to check periodically. Yeah. That's a soft pull. It's not going to impact your credit scores. We also you – know, credit bureaus make their money by, by buying or, or acquiring and selling information about all of us. Uh, those that acquire that information, you know, banks, financial institutions, the list goes on and on. They're paying for that information, and they'll they'll do a poll on us. They might right. target us. That's not going to hurt your credit okay. score. Okay, those are soft polls. Because uh, I'm thinking, man, every time I'm applying for a car loan, that's impacting me. Or every time I'm even just trying to look at my credit score. But that's good to know. So there's hard and there's soft polls. What about if somebody takes your credit? If somebody starts using your identity? Because yeah. then you got to clean up that mess. Yeah, identity theft is a big issue, and I think it's going to just get bigger and bigger in our society. And um, you know, there are there are a lot of things you can do, but it can take months, years to fix that situation. You want to do all you can to protect yourself, and there are some things that you can do to um, to do that. One of those things is, is you should pull a credit report, you know, once a year for yeah. each of the, and that's free. According to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, each one of us has a right to see our credit report. Not our credit score, but our credit report at least once a year. So a lot of people, every four months, they'll pull from one of the three credit bureaus and make sure everything's accurate. You don't want to get too much too far behind on that. Yeah, and, and if it's not accurate, then you report to the credit – what, you, to you who? You dispute with the credit bureaus. Okay, you dispute it. Which is an adventure in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you go to our, our uh, website, there's a – there was a report from 60 Minutes talking yep. about credit bureaus. Yeah. And it is very, very challenging working with them. Now, can you – and you go in there and you – you because there's how many? Three of them? There's three major credit bureaus, yeah. And who who deemed them a bureau? They just <laughs> are a business? Well, a lot of people think it's quasi-government or nonprofit yeah. or they're here to, to help us. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry. This right. is business. And it's just kind of evolved. And there are three major ones. And when we get our credit scores pulled, depending on what we're doing, and in the case of home mortgages, they're going to pull all three. And whatever the middle score is, that's the score they're going to use for qualifying for a okay. So you really – you want to know it. And then what are some other things we should be doing when you think about it? There's got to be four or five things that, man, if we would just do these things – it, our, our credit would would probably be improving. What yeah. should we be watching out for? Well, I mean, I mean, number one, you want to pay everything on time, right? Yeah. You don't want to have lates. Uh, if you have a, a thirty day late on your mortgage, for example, it's going to take three years to get back to where you were. Is it really score. one thirty day late? Right, and you know you want to avoid anything that's severe. You know, repossessions, uh, defaults on credit, collections. 
short sales, foreclosures, bankruptcies, yeah. obviously anything that's severe is going to really, really hurt you. Um, frequency is another thing. If you have one 30-day late, you know, it's, it's negative. But if you have frequent 30-day lates, then that's going to impact you even more. So, you know, we want to be responsible with credit. We want to make sure that we pay things on time. That's the number one thing. Okay. And then I think that the next one is utilization. It's amazing. Almost a third of our credit scores just based off of how much credit's available to us and how much we're using. Okay. So we want to get as much credit as we we can available to us and we don't want to use it. Interesting. Kind of a, yeah. It's, it's kind of strange, but yeah. that's what we want to do. So you so you, even if you you have a good credit score, you want to be able to go get a car easily, but maybe not go get the car. <laughs> well, and you want to mix. I mean, you want to have some installment loans. You want to have some revolving. It's almost investment. You're going to pay a little bit of interest on a on an installment loan. Yeah. But it is important in the credit mix. And so you don't have to do it a lot, but you want some of that on your credit. So even though you could just go buy the fridge and pay it off, you just it might be worth putting it on installments to just if you don't have much credit. Yeah, yeah you want to start to build credit if you have yeah. a thin credit history. Once you've kind of established your credit, does it? I mean, if you just are fairly consistent. Does it keep growing or does it just reach a point where it can't get better? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, you know, it depends on where you're at. The ceiling, once you start getting in the high 700s, low 800s, there's not much you can do. I yeah. mean, I, I've, I've never been a late, late on a payment in my life. Yeah. I, I've had – I've utilized credit, credit well and I've topped off in the low 800s and there's not much more that can be done. Well, I guess, yeah, it's not. And it doesn't really matter. It's I mean, like we, an we've a. had some people – It's an A. Yeah. You got an A. <laughs> exactly. So do you have to have the highest score right. or, or do you want an A? An A yeah. is good enough. If you're around 750, you're going to get the very best rates. That's really the goal. Really, yeah. It's the only be. reason you're using it, right? It's because it's about – your credit, it's your access to credit, but then also at what price you're going to pay for your money. Exactly. The terms that we're going to, to experience. Is um, in the end, because we really don't get it. So if, if, if a young student's coming out of high school, you'd suggest maybe go get them a credit card, teach them how to pay it off, maybe get them. Watch a, them. Make sure they Watch do them it. closely. But I mean, eventually maybe get them a car and let them learn to start paying that off. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's just – I guess it's just practice really. And is it more – because it's also – you're going to hit the day when the wheels are going to fall off. The economy – you're going to have a problem. You're going to lose a job. What should you do if you really start struggling? Is there a way to more proactively, I guess, go down the drain? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are great questions and it's more than just credit. I mean we want to – have a savings account where, yeah. where if something does happen, we can fall back on that. We want to have resources. Um, but if we are in a situation where you know, we're in financial ruin and there's not much to do about it, you know, and back when, in 2007, 2008, yeah. when the housing bubble burst huge. and the econo- economic crisis hit, we saw a lot of people that were, you know, they were responsible citizens and something happened. You know, we also see people with a health issue, a car accident. Yeah. You know, they didn't have insurance and all of a sudden – their credit is in shambles. They're financial. They're in financial crisis. So I, I think the first thing that you do is, if you can't pay something, you talk to the creditor. You tell them what's going on. You you work with them. And in many cases, you can get a lot further than you could otherwise. We mm-hmm. see that on a lot of medical debt, where yeah, you could get. They, they'll work with you. They have grants. They will rearrange payments. But people just stop paying. Yeah, and then it you're almost ashamed, devastates right. their, their credit, and and it is. It's, it can be a, something that you're very very ashamed of that situation, and that's one of the reasons why people don't reach out. They just kind of 
suffer in their own quiet, right. know, miserable way. Yeah, miserable way because it's not something that you go to other people for. It's, right. it's very, very embarrassing. But it shouldn't be. You, you have a third of Americans who can't qualify for a home loan. You really? have more than half, I think you use the percentage, 56%, aren't getting the best rates. And so it's not something to be ashamed of. Right. We need to go out and, and find those people that can help us if we are in a financial crisis. Do you, does, does it matter if you're, uh, if you're tied up in student loans versus home loans? I mean, if you've got loans out, but you still have income, do they do they weigh all of these loans differently? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. It's interesting that the latest FICO model, FICO 9, which is not being used currently to qualify for home mortgages but, but will be in the future, we, we suspect, they've weighed medical debt differently. Okay. And it should be that way. Yeah. Because, you know, if somebody goes out and they buy a bunch of – of stuff and they yeah, and, and then bling. they can't pay it, <laughs> right. you know. And, yeah. the, and versus somebody has a car accident, they didn't have insurance and they can't pay it. Should that be weighed the same? Yeah, right. And to this point, it has been weighed the same. In the new FICO model, it, it isn't. And so you, there's there is an advantage as far as medical debt, which I believe that that should be the case. Sure, we've done a lot of stuff about the the youth student loans, all of these students that are kind of upside down in student loans. They don't necessarily even produce the same income or the income they need to even pay off their debt, their loans. What's what's going on with that when it comes to credit? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, in the last decade or so, when you look at auto loan debt as far as the entire country or you look at credit card debt, it's about the same. You look at, at student loan debt and it's quadrupled. Has it really? So there's hmm. great access. And I believe, you know, it's – there's a tremendous opportunity to have access to credit to improve your situation, sure. to get an education. When I was growing up, my parents, my dad was, a, was a, an auto mechanic. We had no money. They had six kids. Yeah. And so they didn't have money, but they didn't get into debt either. And I remember once he had his own shop and he, uh, he came home from, from work one day and in his lunch pail, he, he had taken all of his income for the, for the month and he had changed it to $1 bills and he put it in his lunch pail gathered the family around, and he dumped this on the floor, <laughs> this big, beautiful pile of cash. Yeah. And we were just so excited. I was about seven or eight year, years old, and he said, we're going to pay all of our bills, and whatever's left, we're going to give to you kids. And so I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have all this cash. I'm going to go buy all this fun stuff. <laughs> and, as, and you're laughing, and that is probably everyone else is too, lesson. because you probably know what yeah. happened. Once they paid all the bills, there was nothing left. And so that's why we didn't... That's you know, we didn't we don't use go to credit Disneyland. to go to yeah. Disneyland and do all of these kinds of things. And so when I went into school, I was so averse to credit that I worked part-time and full-time and never got a student loan yeah. and paid for it all on my own. Right. And it took a couple extra years to get through school. If I were to go back again, I might get a student loan. But we've got to be careful on how we use student loans. Mm-hmm. We, can u- we can misuse student loans. We can abuse credit, student loans just like we can any other type of credit. See, it's an interesting – it really – it's a lot of this is where you're coming from, how you were raised, what you were taught. And some just, you know, have had the bills paid and they don't, they don't understand credit and then all of a sudden they're, they're in college. There's a little, um, you know, American Express table there and the, you want a T-shirt? I'll give you a T-shirt <laughs> if you sign up for a credit card. And the next thing you know, you're 5000 in debt or borrowing for um, your loan. So – Give us uh, – as we wrap this up, Stephen, what would you say what, – what's the number one thing 
we should all remember when it comes to our credit? What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference? I'd start with we can make a difference. It's not just waiting and hoping. We can do something about it. Clearly, the most important step is pay everything on time, yeah. any credit that you have. But the, the, the thing we can do today that will make the biggest difference in jumping our credit score is to look at the utilization. Look at what credit card, credit we have available to us and pay that off or pay that down so we can have a much higher utilization. Almost a third of our credit score is based off of that. One other quick tip along yeah. with that is that what happens is sometimes we use credit cards for convenience. That's what I use it for. And then I just pay out one bill at the end of the – when I get my statement. The problem is, is, that, is that the credit card companies report to the bureaus on a certain day. And you can call up your credit card company and you can ask them when that is. Usually it's when the statement goes out. Hmm. Well, let's say you had $2,000 credit limit on your credit card and you're using $1,500, but you're paying it all off. It doesn't matter. It's whenever it reports to the credit bureau. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you can think you're acting very responsibly with your credit card, but yet really being hurt on the, on the score. Because so, you're always maximizing your exactly. card. Exactly. So I wouldn't worry about it unless you know you're going to apply for a home loan. You know you're going to get a car loan. In that case, pay it off before the statement goes out. That's right. And then you'll get the full benefit. See, it's little tricks like that. And can they – if they go to your website, premiercredco.com, They'll get tips like that and also just find out there's, – there's awesome case studies there. There's case studies. There's a lot of information you can call. We'll give anybody a free credit evaluation if you have been in a financial crisis. We're also releasing here in the next week a, a new website called Premier Total Care hmm. where people who maybe don't have low credit scores but want to stay up to date on the latest with credit, want to be able to have access to a credit library, want to be able to have a free credit evaluation once a year. That's something else that that we offer. That's amazing. It really is great stuff. Stephen Palmer, appreciate you. Again, everybody go to the website, premiercredco.com, and uh, start paying off your bills, right? Start uh, maximizing your your own credit. Use it as a tool, folks. It doesn't have to beat you up. You can lead it. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with more news and headlines up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I mean, it really, it's credit for crying out loud. But you, it is. The, your report card continues on. And you got to get ahead of it because if you don't, guess what? You'll find out when you try to get your house or when you try to get your car, your new car. A lot of little tricks. I I had these credit agencies calling me saying, "Uh, you've got this going on, this going on, and found out that somebody was trying to steal my credit, which I was like, good luck. Yeah, I haven't had much luck with it. You take it. (laughs) See how it works for you. But somebody was stealing it, and they were actually very helpful. But I needed to, you know, shake it up. You also, once you're calling them, you feel like you're in the middle of a – major bureaucracy that you can't move. Yeah. Because a lot of time you end up talking to nobody. Yeah. You submit either online or to some recording on a phone. Uh-huh. And we'll get back to you. But you feel like you're being shafted. Yes. And then all of – and, you know, because all of a sudden somebody's stealing my credit and the, and these people don't trust you because they think it's you until you prove it. And then all of a sudden they're like, we'll get them. Trust me. 
Makes this person will not be alive tomorrow. Then, then you feel like there's nobody on your side helping you. Yeah. Oh, and then who do you trust? It's interesting. Interesting stuff. Um, anything else going on in the news? Dish Network reportedly in talks to merge with T-Mobile. I uh, see. This is it. Everyone's going mobile. Uh, the two companies are reportedly in close agreement on a version of the combined company that would see Dish Chief Executive Charlie Ergen become the combined company's chairman and the T-Mobile counterpart, uh, John Laguerre, as the CEO. I probably hashed those names pretty well. Would they call it T-Mobile Dish? I don't know. Dish Mobile T. They're the second largest satellite TV operator with 13 million customers. T-Mobile's the fourth largest wireless carrier with 44 million customers. Yeah. The potential deal is the latest in a wave of multi-billion dollar mergers for U.S. media communications companies, including AT&T, has a $49 billion deal on the table for DirecTV, <laughs> along with uh, we had Comcast Time Warner that fell apart, and then well, that's come up in another cable offering, so I don't know. But it, Dish and Direct and Comcast, they don't they don't generate content. They just have content deals with other providers, right? Because isn't this what all of the phone companies are looking for content? To stream and to have on the phones. Yes, it, it depends. But none of these companies actually make content. They do. Do they? Like DirecTV has a channel, and they I don't know if they directly or either they purchase content or they create it. Yeah. I know Comcast owns TV networks. They own NBC, Universal, oh, yeah. Yeah. and so they have a lot of cable networks. So they okay. are creating they, content. They own content, yeah. Dish Network, I don't know if they do or not. Isn't BYU? But they probably want to get into that. Radio, don't we broadcast out on Dish Network? We do. <laughs> we're on a specific so, channel there. So we probably, for full disclosure. No, we're involved with XM, Sirius okay. Satellite Radio. and I'm just throwing it out it's there. It's different, so don't go ahead and. I'm not even going to fully disclose. Cop to anything there. But a lot of this has to do with, like, AT&T provides internet. Yeah. And so if they have DirecTV and they, they set up a, 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 a like an internet TV offering, so you cut Bundling. Your, now you, you'll be bundling. You cut your cable, they'll have a bundled streaming option for you. Thank heavens. Yeah. You know, they're there for you. So, And, and in either way, what, what's going to end up happening is if you decide to cut your cable or satellite, you're going to want to watch something over a streaming internet connection. That connection is going to be owned by someone who owns a cable or satellite is, system so they'll get your money either way there's no way you're getting away from these groups let's of just companies. be clear either way get out your wallet yeah either way they're coming for you <laughs> and they would like you to pay them that's good news no for t-mobile <laughs> and every, dish everybody but us <laughs> i the printer this morning was working against me i don't know if you well you know the printer is really pretty much just up to you it's kind of possessed you just decide what button you push and then if it prints it'll come out you sent me this one a florida science teacher has been suspended for running a signal jammer to prevent his students from using their cell phones in class (laughs) school board members at uh pasco county developed or they approved his a a five-day unpaid suspension for the teacher his name is dean liptak uh, Liptak didn't co- uh, contest the decision. Officials say that he activated the jammer in his high school March 31st through April 2nd. What? Verizon Techs found the jammer. A, a district representative tells the Tampa Tribune after they walked around the school with a device that could detect if there was a jammer. Jammer working. detector. Uh, they, they walked all over the school and it, right to his classroom, <laughs> right in the ceiling, there was the jammer. The whole time they thought it was a kid who was playing some prank, but then they found out it was a teacher. 
So he gets Apparently suspended. jammers are illegal. They're illegal because you're when you jam a cell phone, there's that possibility someone's going to have an emergency. They yeah. need to call 911 and they can't have access to emergency services because you're jamming their we cell phone. We be jamming. We be jamming. So you're not supposed to use it. He didn't mean it for malicious no, purposes, he's obviously. trying to get these kids to listen. Stop texting on your phone during class and so, yeah. They need a kinder, gentler jammer. Like... That, you, that the teacher could just flip the switch when it's time to start class. It's called a basket at the front of the room. Put your phone in or you're suspended. Oh, the old basket trick. They do that in businesses. I know the White House does that with meetings. It's a great idea. There'll be a basket outside the Oval Office. It's all full of all kinds of cell phones. Yeah, but meanwhile, they're rifling through your phone while you're in the meeting. Well, they'll probably already have it. I think high school kids would just bring two phones. Just bring a throwaway phone. and You'll have a burner. That's why you need a jammer. I'm just saying. So he got in trouble. He also had another history because he he was kind of – he'd like write these story problems – how much pressure can a baby take if you drive over it with a car? Oh, great. And it got him in trouble. So he's, yeah. he's already got his own. He's, he's got a little attitude. Anyway, apparently you're not allowed to jam. We are going to take a break, folks. That's it. Hour number one. It's in the can. Next hour, we'll be talking about energy, where to find it, how to get it, and how it makes a difference. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program, my friends. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to another hour of tools, ideas, Energy boosters today, right here, to help you live longer, love stronger. We're going to run around the room or something, mm-hmm. boost our energy that we way? We are going to be talking about energy from a leadership freak. That's his website. Yeah, I saw that. Dan Rockwell will be joining us in just a few minutes. Uh, just a great blogger, consultant, and uh, he's going to teach us about energy because energy, it'll make you or break you. And I mean, he's not going to get into, you know, creating energy through just meditation stuff. He's going to teach us how it full on impacts your ability to lead people, to create results. If you're tired, you're ornery. Yes. You know? This is true. And if you're ornery, you know, everyone wants to get away from you. Which works for me sometimes. (laughs) The fastest way to get people away from you is to... Be ornery. Fastest way to be ornery? Have no energy. He's going to give us tips to reignite our energy. He's going to teach us the principles about success and how to get results and how results beget more energy and energy beget results. And it's a cycle. We'll be learning about that. A cycle of energy. A synergy, we call it. Oh, wow. Cycle energy. Cycle energy. Making up words here on the Matt Townsend Show. We do it for you. I really, my goal, by the time I die, I want to have one of the words that I've made up, because I've made up a lot. In the dictionary. I want it in the now, dictionary. Now, are you, are you making up words, or are you misspeaking? Yes. Okay. Exactly. And then just trying to make up for it in the No, I, I actually like, like cy- cycle of energy, cycle energy. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a new word. I made that one up. Okay. Put that in a meme, James. Okay, cycle energy. Cycle energy. Cycle energy. Hmm. 
That could be the new business word because it used to be like synergy. Synergy, yeah. Now it could be cyclenergy. Yeah. I'm not sold on it yet. Okay. Still. Let me work it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We could workshop it. Bring in some uh, some people to uh, let's brainstorm it. Uh, Test market it, uh if you will. Empower people. It's another buzzword. (laughs) I want to empower people. Of course. To make up more words. Um, anything going on in this world? Uh, Lincoln Chaffee. Don't know him. He's the former Rhode Island governor. Yes. He officially declared for his presidential run yesterday. He's running for president. Rick Perry announced this morning on a website. He'll officially announce later this afternoon at a uh, Dallas event. Rick Rick is kind of the man's man. He hopes we've all forgotten whoops, which we haven't, or oops, because we just ran that last time. He made that mistake, but Rick's the guy that goes to the border when we have a border issue. Yes. In a helicopter. Yes. Lands, gets in a speedboat. He's quite showy. He's he's a he's a he's a man's man. Yeah. Sometimes you want the president to get in there and just be tough as nails, and he's the kind of guy that would just spit in your face if he had to. You know? Or forget something. As well, he he's might talking. forget. Yeah. Yeah. But who doesn't forget? Right. Sure. And hopefully he'd have notes, maybe a teleprompter. Sure. Uh, also, this morning, another. Candidate for president, Senator Lindsey Graham, speaking on Fox television, said that it's easier to talk to a North Korean guy, apparently referencing Kim Jong-un, but he said a North Korean guy, (laughs) uh, than it is to talk to Hillary Clinton. What? Graham's statement came as a set of press guidelines for Clinton's upcoming speech at Texas Southern University were released on Wednesday. The guidelines for her Thursday afternoon speech explains that there will be no opportunities to interview Hillary Clinton. That her speech will be her interview. My speech is my interview. Graham went on to say that Clinton doesn't have the confidence to differentiate her foreign policy record from President Obama's, adding that Clinton's biggest nightmare is for an interviewer to ask her about the war on terror and Obama's foreign policy strategies. That's her biggest nightmare? That's what he says. How does he know that? Because he knows, apparently, uh, a North Korean guy, as he says. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? See that he can't scene, he can't name the apparent North Korean guy and his knowledge of foreign policy, but it's yeah. a North Korean guy. But he he's he's taken on Hillary. It's it, don't you notice though? Now there's four Democratic candidates running, so they're coming out of the woodwork now. So they must be seeing something in Hillary that they're like weakness. We need some competition. There there was some uh, discussion with O'Malley last week that. Uh, He's probably the number two guy right now yeah. for the Democrats. If Hillary falters, he could step up and have that nomination. But Hillary's giving she's, – she's answering the questions in her speeches. Well, no. She's answering questions that she's posing to herself and giving answers to. If I were the press, I would ask this. So here's my speech. Pay me $200,000. There you go. Is she still being paid for speeches? I don't speeches? believe so. I believe the speech payment – Railroad train of cash has uh, paused for a few years because there's rules now that she's an official candidate. Now she's in a candidate. Did you hear that Taco Bell's going to serve beer and wine? Yes. They're test marketing it in Chicago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds, that seems interesting. Or dangerous. Well, like how many fast food restaurants serve alcohol? None. But I guess I, I'm assuming it would that be I a margarita. Of. Or something. Well, it's Taco Bell and a 
I mean, it's, it's 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 fake Mexican food. Yeah, we all know, but I is, is this, I don't know what they're going to do with that because the people that run, I mean they they also have like um, an app where you can order your tacos. Well, and then go pick them up. Well, the problem is it takes about thirty seconds to make the tacos. So where are you ordering from? Where it's this big deal to have to wait in line for thirty seconds? Well, are we gonna <laughs> have like Chalupa? Come are on. we gonna have like Wendy's whiskey shooters? Could be. It's a brave new world. This is crazy. Like to start freezing all the drinks. I already feel ill when I leave some of these restaurants. <laughs> Maybe this way you can forget about how sick you feel. Is that what? Uh, it's just crazy. Speaking of, mm-hmm. alcohol problems affect almost 33 million adults and most have never sought treatment, according to a government survey that suggests rates have increased in recent years. Drinking like alcohol, like, like what are they talking about? The like s- liver disease? The study, or are they talking the about? The study's first national estimate based on a new term, alcohol use disorder, in a widely used psychiatric handbook, hmm. the DSM-5. Yeah, that's the big one. Okay. That is the big habit, yeah. Sometimes I don't know if you're serious or not. No, that's... You just agree with things. I was serious. Okay. It was updated in 2013. So this is a condition? Would you call it a Uh, condition? Apparently. This this is like the binge drinking? That's part of it. Yeah. It says researchers from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism asked 36,000 adults during 2012 or 2013 about lifetime drinking habits, including current or within the past year, about 14% of the adults were current or recent problem drinkers. Wow. Or nearly 33 million nationally, 30%, almost 9, or 69 million had been, a, some, had been a problem drinker at some point in their life. So, and they see this also with a rise in the frequency of binge drinking. Well, it seems like the obvious antidote is to have alcohol at Taco Bell. There you go. Like, that's crazy then. <laughs> Run for the border. That isn't yeah, run for the border. <laughs> That's interesting because uh, you, you hear more and more on these campuses that these kids are getting into binge drinking, and it's it's not not even not healthy. It's it's dangerous. It's way dangerous. Deadly. Alcohol poisoning. They could have some hmm. serious issues that way. Uh, also, Baltimore school children attending public schools won't have to go another day in class hungry thanks to a new state program. On Tuesday, Maryland State Delegate Keith Haynes announced the Hunger-Free Schools Act of 2015, a state law that allows any school and school district with at least 40% of its population considered low income to offer free meals to all its students. That number means every single school in Baltimore is eligible. Great. So no one's going to go in and go. Oh, you can't have a you can't have a lunch. And they say that the really the program lets children get both breakfast and lunch free at a time when school our school schoolhood hunger hunger is on the rise. Almost half of all low income kids in America miss out on breakfast. Well, and we just had an interview with a professor that's done research on these programs and found that it actually increases grade scores. It increases their ability to get the job done to do their work. So good. And and I read a lot of a lot of comments on this article I was reading and it says if you raise my taxes, give it to kids. Yeah. Don't let it go to a politician to pave a road or, you know, whatever you do with the money, but give it to a cause that matters. And what would happen if our kids had full bellies when they were learning, maybe they'd right. learn more and maybe be able to change some of their conditions. And I found this one slightly humorous but slightly troubling at the same time. Troubling humor. We call it True bloomer. New York Times reports that employees of Walt Disney were made to train their foreign replacements after the company told them they would be laid off. Hmm. So you're going to be laid off. We have someone that we've brought in from another country who's going to take your job. 
So you can have a few days still on the job, but you need to train your replacement. So they're like bringing immigrants in to be like Mickey? (laughs) I guess. So Disney gave these people an additional 90 days if they trained Indian immigrants brought to the U.S. to take their jobs. The H-1B visas, however, are intended for workers with exceptional skills who fill jobs Americans cannot. That's the point of that H-1B visa. Not to replace skilled American workers for less money, which is what Disney was doing. Yeah. Disney laid off about 300 workers, only half of whom found other jobs at the company. That's that would be pretty frustrating. Yeah. To be okay, so when I do goofy, this is how I walk. <laughs> so you have to train your replacement. They they've gone through the effort to get these visas. Uh-huh. And then they're going to pay them less money, which is against the rules of how this visa program works. Well, there's some bad press. Yeah. Wouldn't you be tempted to train the wrong things, though? I would. And what so, like uh, no, uh, trip trip the kids as they pass by. Kids love it when you bang them on the head. And to push them down on the ground. Hit them on both sides of the head at the same time. They love that. <laughs> it seems weird to me. No, hit nope, them hard. No, nope, that's a policy, company policy. Company. But they bought them 90 more days. They give them 90 more days. So you were held hostage. If, they, if you train your replacement. Wow. Wow. Interesting news. Interesting news. Now, have you been, uh, you know, throwing back the caffeine in the morning just to make it through your radio show? Have you ever done that? Have you ever just tried to stay awake and you just don't have the energy? And, you know, after, you know, halfway through your day, you need a nap under your desk. Well, I have. That's why we're talking to Dan Rockwell. Dan um, is uh, really, he's just a great kind of American management guru. He's a, he's a great leadership consultant and, um, and, and, and is going to teach us today about our energy and how your energy may impact how you lead and how you follow. We'll be talking with Dan Rockwell. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you ever feel that you need to reach for your third monster energy drink around 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Do your catnaps end up being a few hours or maybe, you know, you just wish you could take a catnap with emails and texts and tweets and meetings that are taking up every free moment of our day? It's no wonder that most of us are exhausted by early afternoon and uh, we're turning into uh, our own little Rip Van Winkle. Well, joining us now live on, uh, actually, uh, over phone, I believe, today, uh, is Dan Rockwell, author of the popular blog Leadership Freak. And he's been on the show before, but he's here to uh, help us reignite our, our energy again. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show, my friend. Why, thank you, Matt. It's great to be back with you again. Great to have you. I love... Your blog, everybody, go check out his blog um, because really, it's you. You make it so easy to access information, Dan, and I think that's for a guy with no energy. That's really helpful. So keep keep doing your site. It's the perfect no energy blog post. Right? <laughs> it really is. You you make it so easy. Now you started this whole energy. I mean, you're a management consultant. You 
you do a lot of leadership content, but um, you started this because of, an, I guess, a conversation you had with John Gordon, who was the author of The Energy Bus. Talk to us about that and, and you know, what are you finding out about energy and, and what does it mean to leadership? Well, I did have a conversation with John Gordon. He's a great friend and uh, enjoy his book. Um, and I talked to him because I was uh, setting up a, a workshop with an organization that I work with on this topic. And I thought, well, why not just talk to some of my friends? And John was one of them. So that's where that came from. And it, the reason this is so important, Matt, is, I mean, everything you do requires energy. And so if you don't have energy, guess what? You're not uh, going to go very far. So, so true. Uh, and I think, you know, the most important thing we manage this is I may be surprising to some people, but I think the most important thing we manage is our energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's subtle, isn't it? Because you don't you don't really pay attention to it. But you wake up in the morning and you're like, I have no energy. And you you go to your meetings and you don't have energy. But what I loved about your article is it impacts everything. It doesn't. It impacts how you lead. It impacts what even notes you take. It impacts everything. Well, for me, um, it, you know, the, the whole energy thing is important because the less energy I have, the more negative I become, I think. The less yeah. hope I have about the future, the, the less willing I am to try new things. I mean, you know, things just go dark as energy goes down. And it seems like if my job as a leader is to, you know, enroll people into my ideas if I don't have the energy, then as a leader, I'm not going to have as much uh, as much impact. What are signs then of maybe low energy? What are some things that would be telling us, obviously, we don't have it? Um, feeling like the world is against you, that, uh, you know, nobody's on your side, wanting to quit. I, I think, uh, I don't know about you, Matt, when I feel, uh, when my energy starts really dipping, then I also feel... Uh, unappreciated, you know, um, yeah. I'm a short temper. I mean, so many of the things that we're not really proud of about ourselves, yep. <laughs> they're, they're connected to this issue. You know, have, have you gotten into that yet, Dan, in your work about willpower? Um, they talk about you have more willpower when you have more energy, right? So your willpower goes down as the day goes down, which is why we kind of do the binge eating at night. It's why we make a lot of our mistakes at night. Um, but you need that. You need the willpower that comes from energy. There is some fascinating work done on this, Matt. Uh, you know, that um, I think the idea is that willpower is sort of like a muscle. And as you, the more you use it, it, it fatigues. And so that's why we do great on our diet, you know, in the morning or, uh, you know, through part of the day. But then if we're exercising, our, constantly exercising our willpower, it, it weakens after a while. Uh, we all kind of know what that feels like, oh. I guess. Totally. Uh, yeah. Talk about your principles in your article. Um, again, if they go to your website, leadershipfreak.wordpress.com, it, it really is. It's just a cool blog, and it's one I go to regularly. Um, but on there, you talk about your three energy principles. Walk us through I talk, those. I talk about the three energy principles. Yeah. <laughs> I shop, I probably should have that in front of me. You, well, you don't even remember. One is long-term success requires energy management, right? So, uh, yeah. so yeah. if you're cuz cuz if you think about it, I I think that I can have a million ideas and I mean and and even be good at certain things, but the minute you don't have the energy to deliver on your ideas, you're basically useless. 
Yeah, you know, and I, here's the thing, Matt, and I'm getting a little bit more experienced, if you want to say that, because <laughs> I have really white hair now. Yeah. And, and uh, when I was younger, I, you know, I didn't pay attention to this enough. You know, I think you can kind of burn the candle at both ends for quite a while. Uh, but after a while, that catches up with you, and then you really do lose some of your potential and some of your opportunity. Do you think it, this is a um, a problem that even like is more real for for active, high successful people? Uh, because it seems like energy is easy to have if you know you just got your day in, your day out stuff. But a lot of the leaders I know. They're highly creative, they're driven, they're super motivated, but it also seems like, you know, they might be stimulating, they're using caffeine, they're using, they're not sleeping as much, they're doing everything they can, which is simultaneously killing their ability to get the results they need. Oh, you know, and here's the thing about type A's, high energy people, people who really want to achieve is they're not paying attention to this because they're so busy. They have their head down, getting stuff done, reaching that goal, climbing that mountain, whatever it is, that they don't take the time until something really goes wrong to think about how do I manage, how do I keep filling this energy tank? There's a principle of life, Matt, and that is over the long term, you cannot take out more than you put in. Yeah. I mean, it only makes sense. So it is, it's true. You know, the high, the high achievers do struggle with this, I think. Do, um, because too, it may, maybe this is what correlates with decision-making and prioritizing, doesn't it? Because if I, if I'm sitting there and I can't focus myself, then I'm going to let whoever has the most energy in the room take over. Mm. So now that, the, the, you know, the energizer bunny is going to lead me instead of me leading the bunny. That's a good point. That's a good point. And it, the, some of the leaders that I coach, uh, we talk, we end up around this topic because they do get fatigued. P- leaders get fatigued. Mom and dad get fatigued. And, and then what happens, you know, perhaps the person who shouldn't be leading actually does start to lead. Good point. That's true. I mean, it's true with teenagers, too. Um, you know, it's the end of the year, school year. I've got a bunch of kids and I'm exhausted. So they're like, hey, I'm going to stay up late and play this game. And I'm like, whatever. Yep. Whatever. <laughs> Just don't wake me up. But it's like I give up. I give I give in to whoever has the energy. And then we end up going that way. Uh, we're talking with Dan Rockwell from leadershipfreak.wordpress.com. It really is. He's a management consultant and a coach and works with executives in how to uh, be better leaders Go check out the website, leadershipfreak.wordpress.com. We'll take a break, come back. He's going to walk us through some ways to reignite our energy. How do we get our energy back? He's also got a really great offer for any of the listeners that go to his website. He'll give you a free book. He'll, he'll explain that when we come back. Dan Rockwell, uh, more on energy right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are trying to get a, a little pick-me-up, a little uh, increase in our energy. 
as just as as humans, but also as leaders um, and as people that influence others around us. Your energy can lift others and your passion can become contagious if you've ever seen that. Who better to teach us about this than Dan Rockwell? Dan is uh, he's an author, he's a writer, he has a blog called Leadership Freak, and it's one of my favorite management blogs, leadershipfreak.wordpress.com is where you can find out about Dan. Dan is also the co-author of The Character-Based Leader and um, has been ranked as the number 29 of, of the AMA's top 30 leaders in business in 2014. He's he's just a great resource, and we're picking his brain about energy. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for giving us your energy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, talk to us about uh, – you have an offer you're going to give – uh, listeners of the show, if they if they'll go to your your blog, talk to us about that. Yes, yesterday I wrote a post, uh, had a conversation with Ken Blanchard about uh, the re uh, issue of the one minute manager, and it's come out again as the new one minute manager, and they revised it, and huh. giving away twenty copies of that. Wow! If people leave a comment on yesterday's post, so if they go to the blog. Today's post has some stuff. I have a little bit of my conversation with Ken uh, on today's blog post. But if they go to yesterday's post, there's a chance, there's a chance there to uh, leave a comment, and then I'm going to randomly p- pick 20 people That's and great. they'll receive a copy of the book. You'll get a copy of the book. That's huge. And, uh, I mean, Ken Blanchard, are you kidding me? He's a guru. He's awesome. He's awesome. He is so awesome. He's the, the one-minute manager guy. Yeah. How cool is that to just sit and pick his brain? I tell you, you talk about energy. One of the great energy uh, increasers in my life hmm. is, uh, or energizers in my life, are the conversations that I get to have, including this one, Matt. But also, you know, you get to talk. To, I get to talk to authors and people like Ken Blanchard and John Maxwell. And yeah, these people are so smart, and you just you just get stuff from them. It's just awesome. Isn't it interesting that they, um, when they're that they're that effective, they're that. Um, understanding and good at what they do, but it's their passion, really, it, that keeps that gives you energy. So any of us that have passion, we can. It's a contagious thing. We can share it. Yeah, one of, one of the great energizers is hang around passionate people versus hang around those energy vampires. They nothing makes them happy. They're always discontent. They're always down. Everything's terrible. <laughs> I mean, that's going to drag anybody down. So it's, hang around some passionate people. It's so true. And and just the the vampire. Everybody out there in listener land, you all have a vampire. So we and we know who they are. The funny thing is, is they may not know who they are. How, 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 what would you suggest we do to, to get some feedback to an energy vampire? Well, my, my first option is try to avoid them as much as possible. <laughs> Just stay away. Uh, yeah, but, but uh, you know, th- this is true. And sometimes on teams there are people who don't realize that they are downers. And that, I'll tell you what does happen. When you bring up a topic to a team, lots of times the first response to that topic, issue, project, or whatever it is, is negative and explanations about why it won't work. And my recommendation in that context is to go ahead and let people, you know, get that off their system. Don't answer it. Yeah. Don't say, well, yes, it will work. Just go ahead. You know, well, I see. I see what you're saying. I see. And, and then when they're done, say, okay, well, what will work? 
Uh-huh. What what happens is now you give them the opportunity to make a little bit of a shift. Now, not everybody does, but um, uh, teams start to learn. You know, okay, okay, we see. We we're not going to worry about what doesn't work, and nobody's going to have a big fight about it. Uh-huh. We're just going to try to figure out what does work, and that's an energizing thing too. Maybe just not combating their energy. Just let them kind of spew. And then and then just redirect it. Okay, great. Now that we know it won't work, what do you think would work? And then take yeah, them that way. Let's face it. Uh, trying to fix an energy vampire is draining. Sure, sure. <laughs> so go go ahead. Say what you want. Okay, I hear <laughs> okay. you. I hear you. I hear you. Yada, great. yada, yada. Now, what are we going to do about it? Right. Oh, that's great. Some other ways that you've put together in, in your blog on energy, seven ways to reignite energy. One of them is you say to go take a gratitude walk. Now, I go walk every day. But what's the gratitude angle? How do you take a gratitude walk? This one comes right from John Gordon when we were in our conversation, and I think he—I think it's in his book as well. And and I, the idea is when I don't know about you, but when I go for a walk, I'm kind of mulling over what I have to do, the next thing, you know, trying to solve a problem, and that's a good thing to do on a walk. And what what John gave me on, on that one particular tip is. In the morning, just go out, and what you're going to do is just be grateful for things. You're not going to try to worry about the day. You're not going to try to plan everything out. You're just going to start the day off, look around, be grateful for what you see, think about what you've accomplished, be grateful for that, and, and then start your day. And it's, it's a pause. It's yeah. a moment where we can just reflect for a little bit. That's great. I always put my headset on and listen to a you know an author or something, but... Maybe it would be more valuable to not fill my head with stuff and instead just go notice and be grateful and be grateful. Mm. Or at least for part of it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Maybe yeah. for five or ten minutes or 15 minutes. And then, because I'm with you, you know, I, 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 this is the thing, man. I, I, hate, I feel like I'm wasting time. Mm-hmm. So I've got to listen to that book. I have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally. <laughs> I hate that. I mean, really, I'm, I'm like, why can't I just... Go on a walk. And we live, I live, or where I'm walking here at Brigham Young University, the most incredible mountain range ever, and um, just a beautiful campus. And yet my head is stirring, thinking about, ooh, well, that's a great idea that author just brought up. But gratitude's one, one way. Another way you talk about is creating small wins, which is something Stephen Covey always taught. You know, obtain a victory early, and it actually creates energy for the rest of your day. Yeah, that's uh, to me. What's so draining is uh, you keep working at something and you're not making progress. And I think we can actually design life and projects and things that we're working on with our teams around these incremental wins or milestones, and making make sure to take a moment to say, "Hey, check that baby off. That's yeah. good. We're doing good there. And now, what's next? Great." And and just uh, you know, generate some uh, some progress by designing life and projects around these small wins. Uh, that I mean, th- th- when you think about it, that kind of goes back to the to take the gratitude walk because if you don't notice your small wins, then you're not going to notice progress. Right, right. And it, it, here's the thing, Matt. You know, you you have this big thing out there that you're reaching for, and so often that becomes oppressive. It can't be achieved in the next day or two or week or month. It's this big goal out there that you're really reaching for, and it's so big. If we just would give ourselves permission to take a few steps, you know, what can I do today? And did I do that? Oh, you you did. You, you, you stepped toward that goal. Awesome. Congratulations. What are you going to do next? Mm. So true. So good. Um, you bring up one that hits me right between the eyes. Drink more water. One way to reignite energy is drink more water. 
We are 70% water, not 70% Diet Coke. Because uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm about 90% Diet Coke. Oh, no, no. no. It, but you're saying it's just drink water, and yeah. you feel better doing it anyway. It's good for you, right? Yeah, it does the body it's good. better when you drink water. That's exactly right. I've noticed, though, when I drink water, I actually then do your other advice. I get up and walk two or three minutes to the bathroom. Yes, absolutely. There's a, there's a secondary benefit, isn't there? <laughs> there you, really you, is. I bet you do this, I do it. I put my head down, I get so busy, and then all of a sudden I realize I've really been sitting too long. And there's some research that says, that says sitting is the new smoking. Yeah. That's how bad it is for us. Oh, and I'm so good at it. Isn't that sad, Dan, when like you finally master something and then you find out it's killing you? Um, talk about uh, the power nap. Do you, are, you a, are you a power napper? When I'm home, now my office is home. When I'm traveling, sometimes it's more difficult, time zone issues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. When I'm home, I'm an early riser. This morning I was up at 4 o'clock. I had a 7 a.m. meeting. I, have, uh, I had this call. I have 11... I have an 11:30 lunch meeting, and after that, I'm going to come home and I'm going to I'm going to crash for like 20 or 30 minutes. Then I'm going to get up and I'm going to hit the rest of the day. That's great, and uh, but it seems like our boss wouldn't like us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one comes. Uh, John uh, Gordon said to me, "If your boss finds you catching uh, taking a, a power nap, just tell him you were meditating on the mission statement." <laughs> yeah, what's he going to say? <laughs> well, quit doing that. Okay, well, it's your mission. Um, why, why do you suggest that writing a thank you note, how does that increase my energy? Yeah, this has to do with our, what we're thinking about. I, I'm problem-centric. I'm always trying to solve problems and make progress. And you take a minute to force yourself to do this. And um, the, the, the pr- premier example of this is uh, Doug Conant, the uh, former CEO of Campbell's Soup, who during his 10 years at Campbell's Soup, wrote 30,000 handwritten thank you notes. Unbelievable. Isn't that great? Yeah. That is, is, did he write a book with Meta Norgard? I don't know. D- did I? No, did, did he? he? Yes, he did. He did. He wrote a book called Touchpoint. Yes. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and think of that. And that gets into another part of energy because um, – and I guess this is important for us to be thinking about – my energy I bring with me, and it influences other people. So even if the energy goes through a note to them, it's it's getting out there. But really, I, I can't – I've got to be careful with who I am and what I'm bringing because I could end up being the vampire, couldn't I? I could end up being the one that didn't send out 30,000 notes but ended up sending out 30,000 barbs. Yes. Yeah, oh, and this comes back to always focusing on what's wrong and what's broken. And here's a quick tip for this. Instead of saying what went wrong, say, how can we make something better? Mm. There's just a difference in attitude there. But these interactions, I think, is what you're kind of getting at. The yeah. interactions that we have are so important and so powerful. Here's another little tip for you, and that is watch the person you're talking to or as you listen to them, and when their eyes light up, Try to figure out what it is that's going on for them and even ask them, hey, I just noticed, you know, you're, you, you just sort of lit up right then. What's going on? What's energizing you? And learn about people and talk about energizing topics. That's powerful. And it also it, it forces you to kind of lose yourself and be present in them. 
which will give you more power to you know increase motivation in them. That's yeah, huge. Well said. Well said. You also you connect a lot of this to meaning and purpose. So maybe one of the reasons we're low in energy is simply that I'm not I'm not doing my mission. I'm not in my purpose. Yeah. You know, um, we are human beings, not human doings, and our busyness is one of the things. It's so funny, but our busyness causes us to lose connection with our purpose. And it, it's it's an unfortunate experience. And we get exhausted. We forget why we're doing it. Doctors forget why they're engaged in medicine. And managers forget why they're leading their teams. And they just focus on what they're doing. Uh, so, yeah, connecting with purpose and thinking about, you know, what am I really trying to accomplish here is very useful. And And really, it seems like... It's it's what connects you to the bigger energy source, right? Of your purpose or your your mission, and to not have that, then you you're just probably you know you're just rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Yeah, I mean you're hitting you're hitting on something that depends depending on the people in your audience. There's a faith component, there's a spiritual component to what purpose is about. And as somebody who's not necessarily a person of faith still has this idea of purpose, mm-hmm. and it fits very broadly into the whole spiritual realm of life, and yeah. what am I all about? And, and, and like, yeah, so you're contributing, you're giving something back to the world instead of just taking, yeah. or, or just being a used-up clod, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, part of this is just simply, if, if we're running out of energy, it's really telling us something about ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. It is, and losing touch with what it's all about, losing touch with the basics. Uh, my wife said to me a week or two ago, I was kind of stressed out. There was a lot going on, and she says, well, what are you doing differently? <laughs> and in the end, it was just the pressures that I was feeling. I'm doing the very, you know, very same. I, I write every day. I go and speak. I do coaching. I was doing the same things, but I was losing touch with really what I was all about. And that's when I started getting stressed out. And Oh, you know, I don't mm-hmm. really like this and that kind of thing. Which is probably when you get sick. And, and, and it's interesting. You could almost just see that, you know, you do that. That, that just might be a moment in your life, Dan. But Turn that into a week, turn that into a month of that, a year of that, and now all of a sudden that's your life. Yep. It's yeah. true. It, yeah. it can happen to us, but very sincere, hardworking people, they just go through the motions day after day. And, and I, I think back to those years when I was just doing that kind of thing, and I, I wish I could get them back because I could do the same thing and have so much more joy, mm-hmm. so much more energy, but still do the same thing, but I got lost in it. Mm. It's uh, it's such a subtle little thing. Again, we're talking with Dan Rockwell uh, from the website leadershipfreak.wordpress.com. Again, he's he's given us a great opportunity to uh, go to his website, and if we look up his, it was yesterday's blog entry, right? It called, That's and right. it was was it one minute to make a difference. It is. One Minute to Make a Difference is the title of the post. One Minute to Make a Difference. If you go there and you make a comment, then uh, you um, just about the post, and then you'll have an opportunity to get in and have a, and be part of getting uh, or a drawing of 20 books that Dan's going to be giving away. Um, well, Dan, we appreciate you. If, we had to, if you had to leave us with one thought, what would you say is the one thought that is the key to reigniting energy? You know, I, for me personally, because I'm an achiever, I think the one thought for me that is most energizing is 
make make some progress. Every day I write a blog post, and that's an achievement for me. I get that baby checked off. I feel good. I'm energized, and I go out and I do something else. So for me personally, because I like to be a doer, uh, give yourself some credit. Check, check a few things off. Create some small wins. That's great. Achieve. Get some progress. Well, Dan, sure. appreciate you, my friend. Keep up the great work. We'll, uh, Thank you. We'll have you back. We'll go again on his website, uh, leadershipfreak.wordpress.com. So many great blogs there that uh, that'll just help you. It'll help you in your life, in your career, and uh, I think also just in your spirit. We're going to take a break. Uh, again, you can find um, information of, of for where to go by just going to Dr. Matt's show. And uh, that's our our Twitter handle, and you can go um, check out that link there. Good stuff. We'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner as we wrap up this hour of the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, energy really is such an, an interesting thing. And as uh, we just do a, a quick little coach's corner here, you know, however you want to look at energy, um, it's your ability, it's your power to get stuff done. And everybody has different ways of trying to get their body to work for them. I really am big in believing that everybody's everybody's a little bit different too, right? So you need to probably just get into yourself and understand you've got this generator that is you, your body, and its job is to go create the energy for you to fulfill your mission, your purpose. Everybody on this earth, I believe, has something unique to offer. They have a song. They have music that they're supposed to bring to this world and if you don't have the energy to bring it, I, I really – this sounds weird, but I don't, I don't think it matters why you don't have the energy. You still aren't bringing your music. So we could spend hours explaining why we don't exercise, explaining why we don't sleep, why we don't take care of ourselves. We could explain why we don't um, understand our mental health better. But in the end, if we don't, we don't. So I would – if you're going to work on your energy, could I just suggest spend less time making up the story about it and spend more time just doing it different and figuring it out? Every single time we tell a story or an excuse or a rationale or a reason why we don't take care of our generator, our energy creator – then you're just you're just facilitating and prolonging the inevitable lack of change. Instead, let's just do something different today. One of the ideas, let's just do one of the ideas that uh, that Dan had brought up. Go on a walk of gratitude. Get up and you know and regularly walk around your office and and take a break now and then. Get a better meal, go take a nap. Figure out your mental health. Find out what's going on. You have to crack your code. No one else is here to crack the code for you. And I, I bring it up a lot on this show because I see it so much in my own coaching practice. Everybody has an excuse for why they're not getting stuff done. 
In the end, it doesn't matter why you didn't. Your lack of progress does not equate to the great feelings of being able to get done what you need to get done. So, don't spend the time being frustrated by it. Don't spend the time chasing it and beating it up and being mad about it. And don't spend the time talking about how hard it is. Instead, use all of that little bit of energy that you have to go do something different and get something done. So answer the question, what's the most important thing you need to get done this hour that would make the greatest impact in your life? Think about it. What is the most important thing you need to do this hour to have the greatest impact on your life? And just go do that. Oh, I know, but it's so hard. Shh, don't talk about how hard it is. Quit telling me how hard it is. That just reinforces to your subconscious that you're not going to do this. What, so I, I just suggest, instead of just making a huge list of 100 things you need to accomplish today, go ask the question, what's the most important thing I can do right now for the next half hour to have the greatest impact? And then commit to go do that. And if we could do that right when we get up in the morning, we'll have a victory very early in the morning. And when you have a victory early, it begets more victories throughout the day. What's the most important thing you can do at lunch to have the greatest impact during that time? It might be eat. It might be go sleep under a tree for 20 minutes. It might be go on a gratitude walk. It might be staying at work and finishing so you can leave early and go to your son's graduation. What's the most important thing you can do on your drive home, while you're driving home, listening to this podcast, ask yourself, what's the most important thing I can do when I get home as a father to have the greatest impact on my family? Don't choose 15 things and don't choose the biggest thing. Choose one thing. Now, when you pull in your driveway, you're still going to notice your lawn needs to be mowed. But if you've also got the idea that I need to walk in that house happy and positive and hug my kids and thank my wife, and then go do that. You know, eat dinner, half hour later, get on your Bermuda shorts and go mow the lawn. Then when you're done with the lawn and you're putting the lawnmower away, what's the most important thing I can do tonight? Now it's eight o'clock to have the greatest impact on my family. And just start doing it one hour at a time. Start doing it one goal at a time. And ask this question, what's the most important thing you can do today to improve the energy of your life. I need to quit drinking so much caffeine. I need to quit doing this. I need to start doing this. And choose whatever it is and just start it today. It's a simple little idea, right? And the change doesn't have to be dramatic. Just a little here and a little there and a little here and a little there. Pretty simple. You know what, folks? It always is. But simple isn't always what we do, right? That's the Coach's Corner, my friends. Again, we appreciate you listening. We couldn't have a show without you. And I just uh, would ask you to share these shows. Go to our, uh, go to iTunes, go to TuneIn, look us up, go, go tweet us, go find us on byuradio.org. Tons of ways to find us and download us, but start passing it along. The more you pass it along, so many shows you could send to a friend and maybe lift their day up, maybe change their energy. We'll take a break. We'll come back. 
Top of the next hour, great guest coming up, Gary Chapman, next hour with five love languages. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, man. Have we got a show for you? You ever heard of the five love languages? It's a best-selling book, and pretty much if you have a marriage issue, it's the book. So many times in my uh, work with clients and couples, boy, every time, the minute I start saying, you know, everybody has different needs, they're always like, yeah, I've read the book, The Five Love Languages. Dr. Gary Chapman, author of The Five Love Languages, will be joining us in just a few minutes. And we're going to be talking about how to influence your partner through one of the love languages. Everybody has a different way in which they receive love, they speak love, they feel loved. Do you know what your partner's love language is? What is it? Is it touch? He talks about words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. We'll talk about it. We're going to have the master, the author, Gary Chapman, running down the five love languages with us in just a minute. But before we do, let's go to uh, Terry South, whose love language is the news. I have no idea what that means. That's You feel love through news stories. Senator Rand Paul, who just fought to get the NSA Patriot Act ended and now we have the USA Freedom Act which is yes. similar but different his next uh i guess cause is a bipartisan effort a group of house members to call for the release of 28 classified pages from the 2002 Senate inquiry into the cause of the 911 terrorist attacks huh paul has introduced the transparency for families of 911 victims and survivors act to declassify the pages though at last resort he could read them to the Senate rec. He could read them into the Senate record under the protection of the speech or debate clause. So they wouldn't release them publicly, but he could read them publicly, and then they would be in the Senate record, and that would still be classified. But wow, it's just weird, weird rules. As for the uh, content of the pages, the twenty-eight pages, as Paul says in the report of over 800 pages go into the question of who financed 9-11 and they point a strong finger at Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has argued this is not true. Huh. So we're trying to find out who financed this thing even this far out and there are 28 pages they classified because they may tell us. And he's read it. it and so he's, yeah, interesting. Is Does he say he's actually going to go read it in? I don't know if he's read it. Oh. He may not have clearance to read it. Oh, but he could because they're debating it. He could get the documents apparently and read them into the record. Oh wow! Hmm. So they want these released for closure for the families. The answer is that way. Sure. A ninety-one-year-old uh, man fulfilled his lifelong dream of driving through a garage door. Hold on, he had a dream. Yes, of driving through a, the door. A bucket list type okay. item. Sure, that's and a, he, he always one. wanted to drive through the garage door. Here's the audio of him doing this. The gas, squealed the tires, and bang, we went through the door. <laughs> One, two, two, three! <laughs> it's wow. a way to 
<laughs> get in an accident and not hurt anybody. I don't know what I could do to top it. Getting wow. too old to top anything. Just live life to the extreme. That's live cool. life to the extreme, yeah. he says. I mean, who doesn't dream about driving through the garage door? There's a video. We've posted it on our, <laughs> our Twitter account. He's wearing a helmet as he goes through the door in an in a SUV. But it just the he goes like, where, like you heard. He peels out and it just blows right through the garage That's door. That's great. So it's kind of funny. And nobody was harmed. No, just a garage door. Just a garage door. Um, a uh, Rochester, New York restaurant. It's a Chinese restaurant. They're, uh, they named the restaurant I Don't Know. What, what's it called? I Don't Know. So you don't know. When people ask, you say it's I Don't Know. Oh, let's go to I Don't Know. Where? And the reason the woman, uh, the owner, Jesse uh, Dong, tells the Democrat and Chronicle of Rochester that she came up with the idea because whenever she asks her three ki- kids what they want for dinner, the response is I Don't Know. Oh, that is so perfect. So we'll go there. They decided to name her restaurant, and uh, there you go. Where do you want to go out to dinner? I don't know. I okay. don't know. Kind of interesting. That's a, that's actually a really great idea. Here's another idea you may want to think about. A former Vermont gubernatorial candidate says she has a 60 foot by 24 foot screen built so she wouldn't have to see her neighbor's house. She built a huge screen to block the neighbor's view, yep. uh, her view of the neighbor's house. She's lived on this rural farm for 40 years. Two years ago, a new home was built across the street. She says one of her horses was startled by a child on the neighborhood neighbor's driveway, prompting her to plant a cedar tree to block the view of the home. She temporary put up a temporary screen installed. Why they grow? So she's put up a bunch of trees. Yeah. Until they've matured, there's a, the a sixty foot screen to block out any view of the neighbors. Are the neighbors offended? There's no report here. It seems like it would be a little offensive. Yeah. They said they're going to fine her $200 each day. She doesn't have a permit for the structure, adding up to more than $15,000. Wow. Maybe she ought to just move. Maybe. Or just, you know, embrace your neighbors. Embrace your neighbors. Well, interesting. So uh, maybe her love language isn't being met. Maybe that's the problem. We're going to find out. Hey, coming up next, uh, a great, great guest. Dr. Gary Chapman will be joining us. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. He's also got some new books coming out as well, Anger, Taming Powerful Emotion, and um, and some other books. We will be getting in deep with uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, so hold on tight. Uh, maybe go find your love, and uh, let's see if we can sort through how we all love differently. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back with Dr. Gary Chapman right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, so many times we we try to just understand the complicated concept of love, right? If my wife would just touch me more, you know, then I'd know she loves me. If my husband would just do the dishes, have you ever had that battle where you're like, what does the dishes have to do with love? It doesn't work that way. Well, according to our next guest, uh, it, it really does. And he's he's written one of the, probably, I think, one of the best uh, received and probably most cited marriage books 
that I see in my practice. Dr. Gary Chapman is a nationwide marriage counselor. He's a pastor, a seasoned writer, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. He uh, also, he's been doing this for years, has sold millions of books. Dr. Gary Chapman, such an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you today. Really? Did you have any idea, Gary, that this, that your book, Five Love Languages, would would be such a hit? You know, Matt, uh, when I wrote the book, I knew that the concept would help people because I'd been using it in my counseling for several years. Yeah. But no, I had no idea that it would sell uh, now 10 million copies. Is it 10 million? And be translated now into 50 languages around the world. Unbelievable. And because, I mean, I've written a book and it's like, it's hard. Books are hard. And to even know if they're going to sell. And But I have so many people in my office and, and they're citing your book all the time. Every time I say, you know, people have different needs. The first thought that comes to mind is the are the five love languages. Walk us through these five love languages. One of them is words of affirmation using words to affirm the other person. You look nice in that outfit. I really appreciate what you did. One of the things I like about you is it's just using words to affirm them. Mm. You can speak the words. You can write the words. I guess you could sing the words, Matt. (laughs) Let's let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's using words to affirm the other person. Uh, You know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Mm. So when you give your spouse compliments, you are, you are building them up. When you give them critical remarks, it's tearing them down. Yeah. So words of affirmation. Uh, another love language is gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. Uh, my academic background before I studied counseling was anthropology, the mm. study of cultures. We've never discovered a culture where gift-giving is not an expression of love. It's universal. Really? You know, yeah. the gift says, hey, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. And I like to say uh, the gift doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, you can pick a flower in the front yard. That's what children do. Yeah. They pick dandelions. Dandelions. They give them to their mothers. That's right. You know? So don't, they don't have to be ex- expensive. Uh, the old saying is it's the thought that counts. But I like to remind folks, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. It's the gift that came out of the thought oh, yeah. in your head. Right. So, so gifts. And then there's uh, acts of service, doing something for your spouse that you know they would like for you to do. You mentioned washing dishes, you know. Yeah. It could include things like vacuuming floors, cooking meals, uh, mowing grass, watching the car, walking the dog, changing the baby's diaper. Woo, big act of <laughs> <Right>. service. <laughs> Anything you know your spouse would like for you to do. You know the old saying, Matt, actions speak louder than words. That's true for these people. So it's, true. This is their love language. Because you could actions. sit and you could tell this person you love them, but oh. they just want to see it. They want it. They want the Absolutely. service. Absolutely. You know, uh, my, my love language is words of affirmation. So when I got married, what did I do? I gave my wife words of affirmation. That's right. I, mean, I didn't know anything about love languages, but I just knew that's the way you express love. You know, so I gave her words of affirmation. And uh, I discovered later uh, that didn't make her feel love. In fact, one night she said to me, you know, you, you keep on telling me that you love me. If you love me, why don't you help me? <laughs> yeah, why don't you get off your duff and vacuum the floor? It's so true. Yeah, so act the service, and then there's quality time, giving your spouse your undivided attention. 
I do not mean sitting on the couch watching television because someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting on the couch with the TV off, looking at each other, talking to each other, or taking a walk down the road together and talk, or going out to eat, assuming that you talk. You know, Matt, you can almost always tell the difference between dating couples and married couples in (laughs) a restaurant. You know, dating couples are looking at each other and talking. Married couples are sitting there and eating or more likely looking at their smartphone. You know, (laughs) so true, isn't it? So now, I mean, and that's a big that's a that's a thief of of a person that loves quality time is when you pull that phone out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So quality time. And then number five is physical touch. We've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies and hold them and kiss them and cuddle them. And long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love, Mm. the physical touch. So in marriage, it's such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of the marriage, uh, hand on their shoulder, uh, driving down the road, you just put your hand on their leg. Uh, you know, sitting around the house, you trip them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Kidding, man. yeah. But you tease, you touch, you. T- I mean, but it's, it really <laughs> is. It's kind of any physical. Spouse. Yeah, <laughs> a Did, physical touch. Yeah, I think it's fascinating um, how you've uh, because this is the complaint. Everybody has a complaint, right? And one of the things that I love about your approach is it's pretty obvious what your partner's uh, love language is simply by what they complain about. Yeah, the complaint reveals the love language. You're exactly right. If your wife says, we don't ever spend any time together anymore, she's telling you, you quality time is her language. Uh-huh. Uh, if your husband says, I don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it, yeah. he's telling you physical touch is his language. You know, If you go on a business trip and come home and your spouse says, you didn't bring me anything, <laughs> they're telling you There's a gift. gift is their language. You know, Matt, I found that husbands in particular tend to get defensive if their wife brings up something, complains about something. You know, if if she says we don't spend any time together, he's likely to say, what do you mean? We went to dinner Thursday night. But but really, when your spouse, husband or wife, is giving you a complaint about something, they're really telling you what their love language is. And and what's amazing, too, is is kind of the opposite of this. So if I go home and I like physical touch and I want a hug, but my wife has presented a really amazing dinner, she's probably giving me an act of service, um, a dinner. Um, and so I could actually just notice, okay, my wife loves service, so she's serving me. She's trying to love yeah. me my way. And when I'm touching my wife, it's not just that I'm a dirty old man. It might mean that I'm actually just loving her my way. So this helps me understand how they're trying to love me. Absolutely. Observe the behavior of your spouse. If they're always doing things for you, as you indicated, then acts of service is probably their language. If they're always touching you and wanting to hug you, then physical touch is likely their language. If they're always giving you verbal compliments, then words of affirmation is likely their language. They're speaking their own language. So that's another clue. Just observe their behavior. And and you may as well, if you're going to be with this person forever, you may as well learn their language. You know, Matt, I really feel that strongly. Uh, a man said to me some time ago, he said, uh, he said, Dr. Chapman, I read your book, and my wife and I took the quiz in the back of the book, and uh, I found out that her love language is acts of service. He said, but I'm just going to tell you and her, if it's going to mean my vacuuming floors and my washing dishes for her to feel loved, you can forget that. Mm. And I said, well, that is your choice. 
If you want to live with a wife who has an empty love tank, that's your choice. I much prefer to live with a wife who has a full love tank. You know, if it's vacuuming floors and washing dishes, I say, give me the vacuum. You yeah. know, it's a small price to pay to live with a happy woman. Mm-hmm. So love is, is the desire to enhance the life of another person. And if you understand their love language, why would you not want to speak that language so that you're living with a person who feels loved and is secure in that love and will likely reach their potential for good in the world because they feel loved by you? Don't you hear this a lot, Gary, where they say, um, oh, you know, it shouldn't be this hard, Dr. Chapman. Love should be more natural. Like, I should just, she should just want to touch me because I'm so touchable. <laughs> or she, it should just be natural. And people think love is just meeting your need. Yeah. And a part of that is because when we're in love, we go through that phase when we're in love, all of this just kind of flows out of us. I mean, we, we're just pushed along by the euphoric feelings of, of that in love experience. And we're doing all kinds of things that really aren't natural for us. But the lifespan of that in love experience is about two years, average yeah. two years. We come down off the high, and that's when love has to be intentional. That's when love has to be learned. And if you don't learn to speak your spouse's language, the emotional love tank does get empty, and you begin to feel like, they don't love me. Mm. They wish they weren't married to me. And life begins to look dark. But that doesn't have to happen. If you understand the love languages and you speak each other's language, when you come down off the high, you still feel love yeah. because you're receiving love in a language that's meaningful to you. And you're losing yourself. I mean, that's one of the ideas is that I guess people think that they're going to find the perfect mate instead of being the perfect mate. You know, instead of loving my partner, her way actually changes me. It makes me more charitable. Yeah, exactly. And you know what happens so many times, and this is what's tragic about it, is that people come down off that high, their differences emerge. They don't know how to love each other. They don't know anything about the love languages. And so they begin to argue about their differences, and they say nasty and hurtful things to each other. And before long, they're asking, why did we get married? Mm. We don't even like each other. Yeah. And then you know what happens. They get, they get what I call the tingles. Yeah. <laughs> they get the tingles for somebody else. And that whole in love thing starts over with somebody else. And so they leave their spouse and go off with the second person. And we all know that the divorce rate in second marriages is higher than the divorce rate in first marriages. So the answer is not following the tingles from person to person. The answer is learning how to love the person to whom you're now married. And you almost have to lose yourself, don't you, to to find yourself. It's the old scripture. You got to lose your need to have it, have to have your love your way per se. And instead you're just going to love your partner their way. And it seems like in a, in a, in a way you end up becoming more well-rounded in love. Well, I think so. You know, love essentially is an attitude of giving. It's the desire to enhance the life of your spouse. And we all know that a person who is a loving person is going to enjoy life far more than a person who is self-centered. In fact, self-centered people will never have good marriages. But people who choose to put others above themselves and reach out to love other people are not only going to enhance those people's lives, but they're going to enjoy life. Right. More. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a thing that love love stimulates love. And when I choose to speak my wife's love language, it touches her at a deep emotional level. 
and she's far more likely to reciprocate and, and reach out to love me in my language. Uh, Gary, how long have you been married? Forty-five plus years. You know, it, it's fifty-three now. Is it really that? Is so that? Yeah. Oh. I got married when I got married when I was nine. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Those were the good old days, weren't they, Gary? <laughs> oh man, that's but, beautiful. Know, man, though, uh, to be very honest with you, uh, Carolyn and I had real struggles in the early years of our marriage. I mean, severe struggles. Even though we re- we agreed on religious matters, we believed God was important and all of that, but we had tremendous struggles in our marriage, and maybe. That's why I'm so empathetic with people who sit in my office, and I know sit in your office, and say, we just don't see any hope. We just feel like it's too many things have happened, you know, because I I was there in those early years. You know, I I thought I'd married the wrong person. I thought it's never going to work out. It's never going to get any better. Uh, But, you know, God helped us, and I have so much hope for other people. That, that their lives can be changed, and, and a lot of it centers around what we're talking about today, mm. and that is the choice to love the other person and then learn how to do it. And I love, I love that you're so real about that, because that's to, to know that you went through that, Gary, makes this even more credible, right? Because it was, it's learned. It's not just, this isn't yeah. hype, this isn't theory, this is real life. We're going to take a break. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the book, The Five Love Languages, plus many, many other books on apologizing, books on anger, and books on relationships. He really is an incredible resource for just healthy, good principles of healthy relationships. We'll take a break. We'll come back, give you more insight and ideas on The Five Love Languages up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the book, The Five Love Languages. Uh, also, you may not know it, but he's he's written other books. Um, he, he's written a book on anger, uh, another book on the family you've always wanted, the marriage you've always wanted, desperate marriages, and how to really love your adult child. Holy cow, such great topics, including... Um, uh, one of his uh, more recent books, which is the book, what, Gary, introduce us to your, your newest book. Well, the newest one is Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. Oh, that's such a great topic. I wrote that with Arlene Pellicane from the West Coast. And as you well know, and all parents know, uh, we've got to do something yeah, yeah. <laughs> with our children. Otherwise, the screens are going to consume their lives, and they're going to become addicted to screens. So uh, it's not an anti-technology uh, book, but it's saying how do we make the most of screens? How do we help screens uh, bring us together as a family rather than pulling us apart as a family? So uh, really, we give a lot of practical ideas to parents in that book. That really is, um, and it's a, it's a funny thing because I'm doing a big event on that topic, and um, I'm going to be resourcing that because that is it. Really, it's the new problem, and it's one that we don't even really know the ramifications of yet, do we? No, we don't. You know, I think in in some other countries, like in China and in uh, Korea, uh, and some of the countries in that area, 
uh, about 30% of the teenagers are really addicted. They've actually started setting up clinics. That's right, yeah. To treat teenagers for addiction to video games and, and then the whole uh, screen scene. So, yeah, I think we're going to have to come to grips with it. It needs to be a part of our life. It doesn't need to consume all of our free time. Mm-hmm. And it and should so, help our relationships, right? Enhance them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it does. You know, as a grandparent, and you have grandchildren who are half uh, around the country, you'd be able to talk to them and look at them on the phone. I mean, that's yeah. wonderful, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of positive things about technology as well. It is a good time. It's a good time to be um, in the position to connect. As we talked about your five love languages, words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch, it, a lot of times um, we don't we don't always know what we are. So people can go to your website five number five lovelanguages dot com and do a profile, right? Yes, free a free profile, uh, one for husbands and wives, and one for single adults, uh, one for children, one for teenagers. Uh, just a tool that helps you discover the love language of the other person. What percentage of this is an interesting statistic? If if it's still the one I think it is, what percentage of the couples that you see share the same love language? Not very many. Uh, typically, a husband and wife will have a different love language. Now, yeah. Couples. Some couples do have the same love language, uh, but if they have the same love language. Uh, they'll have different dialects mm-hmm. within yeah. that language yeah. that they prefer. But um, uh, most of the time, husbands and wives will have a different love language. Which is interesting because I think we assume when we're first all charged up chemically, we love everything. Every yeah. language is firing. Um, yeah. And we kind of settle into the ones that are more ours, right? I think so. And, you know, what I'm saying in the book is, first of all, you learn, you discover their primary love language. Then you give heavy doses of that. Then you can sprinkle in the other four mm-hmm. for extra credit. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> uh, because any of us appreciate any of those five, but one of them is going to speak more deeply to us than the other four. Mm. How how were you impacted um, by, I mean, you also have degrees in you know, religion, and you're a very, you're a very, you're a pastor, you're a very spiritual man. How did, how did the spiritual side of your life impact a lot of your writing and work? You know, I think uh, one of the big things was that's what gave us the breakthrough in our marriage. Uh, You know, I was actually studying to be a pastor when I was going through all these troubles Mm. in my marriage. And I remember the day I finally said to God, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I know to do. It's not getting any better. And as soon as I said that, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his followers. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I just heard God say to me, that's the problem in your marriage. You do not have the attitude of Christ toward your wife. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Matt. You know, and I just said, because I remember what Jesus said when he stood up. He said, I'm your leader, and in my kingdom, this is the way you lead. Hmm. The leader serves. Right. And I knew that was not my attitude. You know, my attitude in the early days was something like, look, I know how to have a good marriage. If you'll listen to me, we'll have one. <laughs> if you'll just be <laughs> quiet. <laughs> and I blamed her, you yeah. know. But that day I got a different message, and I just said to God, Lord, forgive me with all of my study in Greek and Hebrew and theology. I have missed the whole point. Mm. And then I and then I said, please give me the attitude of Christ. Well, and that and is so basic, isn't it? It's just it is, it's know? a it's it just really the attitude is. of charity of love. 
Yeah, and you know, looking back on it, it was the greatest prayer I ever prayed regarding my marriage because really God changed my heart, and he gave me a desire to serve my wife. I didn't know anything about love languages at that point, but I started asking her three questions. Uh, Honey, what could I do to help you? Second, how could I make your life easier? And the third question, how could I be a better husband? Mm. And she started giving me answers, and looking back on it, she was really teaching me how to love her. You know, I didn't realize all that, but sure. my attitude was changed. I wanted to help her, and, and, and she began to answer those questions for me. And in about three months, it didn't turn around overnight, but in about three months, my wife started asking me those three questions. Isn't that amazing? When you get, when you get two people who are reaching out, trying to serve each other, and wanting to learn how to serve each other, uh, you're going to have a great marriage. And that's, that's, I think that's what God intended marriage to be. How, so what can I do to help? How can I make it easier for you? Mm-hmm. And how can I be a better husband? Right. Yeah. And and no, the, and then le- and then listen, right? And then listen. And then listen. Yeah. Now take the take the information they give you and answer to that, and let that be a guideline on how you invest your time and energy in their lives. And uh, you know, love stimulates love, as I said earlier. Yeah. And uh, you know, when a husband and wife are reaching out like that to each other, uh, you both then are free, free to to use your talents and abilities to bless the world. And, uh, you know, I so wish, Matt, that we could rediscover that uh, in, the, in the church, that, that we're here to love other people. And when we do, we're enriching the world. Yeah. It should start in the marriage, you know, and then it flows to the children and then beyond the family. The marriage is a, it's a different relationship, isn't it, than any other that we have? Because they're our peer, they're our equal, and yeah. they know everything about us. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 designed of God, I think, to be an intimate relationship. You remember in the in the book of Genesis where God said it's not good for man to be alone. You bet, you bet. You know, isolated, cut off, and God's answer was the creation of Eve, the institution of marriage, and then it says they will become one flesh. Yeah. It's the opposite of being alone. It's deep, deep intimacy. You know, it's it's a deep connection between the two of you. And when you learn how to share life like that, and in love and support and encourage each other, uh, I think you experience what God designed marriage to be in the first place. Oh, I think I think we're right on. And then then parenting becomes a different relationship, and it's also kind of a finishing relationship. These are all designed, it seems like, to make us lose ourselves, to make us become the best we can be. Yeah, you know, children are demanding, let's face it. It takes a lot of time and energy to raise children. Yeah. But it's extremely satisfying, you know. Here are these children that are results of our love for each other, and we have the opportunity to teach and train them to grow up to be responsible adults who hopefully are going to make the world better Mm. than they found it. You know, a tremendous opportunity and tremendously satisfying. Uh, you know, when we when we give ourselves to raising our children in that manner. It's beautiful. Uh, well, Gary, we've got about one more minute, but leave us with what we, we ask for the one thing. If you could think of one thing in your many years of 53 years of marriage, but just your many years of, of coaching and teaching and working with couples, what would you say is the one thing that makes the biggest difference in, in creating that love in marriage? I would say two things, if I can. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> one is deal with your failures. None of us are perfect. So when you do fail and you do things that are unloving to each other, apologize and reach out and ask for forgiveness. Keep the, keep the walls torn down between you. Then 
learn to speak each other's love language. If you do those two things, deal with your failures, and communicate love on a regular basis, the chances are you're going to have a great marriage. Oh, it's so basic, isn't it, Gary? Fundamental. And, and essential and, and important. Well, we appreciate you and the great work you're doing. Keep it up. I'm telling you, you're changing a lot of lives. And, uh, and it's, it really, what's neat about it is it's so fundamental to your belief system and to God. It's, I think it's great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. You keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, Gary, so much. Take care. And uh, we'll take a break, folks. And uh, keep, keep this in mind. Seriously. Two basic ideas from uh, one of the greatest marriage uh, counselors that we have. Deal with your failures, learn to apologize, and then learn to speak each other's love languages. Powerful stuff. We're going to take a break and come on back and uh, talk to our friends over at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great song. Ow! Well, it's the perfect segue into, uh, this is the song, Black and White. And so we're now going to go to our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation. We bring the black view of life, the dark. We're going to take you now to the light side. The healthy, the bright, BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew Townsend. What's up, brother? Brian Logan with me today. Brian's with you today. We yeah. never know. Hello. Hello, Brian. <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing? I always I'm like I'm like a political candidate and I change my dialect every time I have a new person on the show. Nice. Every time Hillary goes to the south, she starts speaking like a southerner. Every time she's up in the north, she starts speaking like a northerner. Sometimes when she goes to Canada, she says eh. Stuff like that. Minnesota. Minnesota. Hey, uh, did you guys hear the great, interesting news um, about the new Chinese restaurant name? No, please inform us. <laughs> I'm dying to know. Um, there is a Chinese restaurant in Rochester, New York, and guess what the name of it is? I don't know. The name of it's I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Isn't that great? So every what time. going to eat? I don't know. I don't know. Because how many times <laughs> you'll know this. When your kids are older, you'll say, where do you guys want to go eat? And they're like, I don't know. And you're like, perfect. All right. That Chinese. is glorious. That We're is a there. fantastic Smart idea. idea. Yes. Don't you think? Yes. That is pretty smart. It's hilarious. Yeah. Now you are always, for the indecisives, you are always the fallback. Where do you want to go eat? I don't know. Cool. I don't know. Let's go. What should done. we do tonight? I don't know. Let's go. Didn't we eat already? Let's go <laughs> eat again. Done. done and done. How are, how are you guys? Are you, going, uh, are you going to do a show today? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. That we are. Hey, does does Brian have a shaving problem like Michael Elisa? No. Oh, and for Brian. I'm clean, actually, right now. A little here, bit. I here's got the stubble. thing. Here's the thing. The past two days, or sorry, two of the three days that Michael Elisa filled in, um, he showed up day one with like a huge beard. And so he wasn't here for the conversation with Matt because uh, he was shaving up shaving. his beard. Oh, really? And then yesterday, it, he, he came in later. He got to the end of the conversation, but he was again shaving. <laughs> so, so he, he had to shave twice. Like, He's always shave, shaving. Shave again. Uh, well, like the next day. Well, it wasn't the next day. It was Monday and Wednesday. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that yeah. Was, that was, so, 
No, like Brian, beer, Brian like is uh, he's, he's, he's looking sharp. He's you guys clean. don't make me shave my beard. How come you make Michael shave his? We we don't make you shave your beard? Mm. Well, your beard looks good. No, thank you. We made you shave your beard for the commercial. Nope. I did that on my own. Oh, you did that on your own? <laughs> you would have been feeling the pressure. You guys, you, not, we, though, you know, that's the benefit of radio. Because you don't know it, but right now, I'm not even wearing a shirt. <laughs> That's what's so great. You can do anything in radio. Hey, we this show was radio only for six months. I know. See, and you knew. You remember the yeah. joy. You you could have a little was, stubble. You do whatever you want. Take right? your shirt off. All the images that Jerem would sweat, create. With sweats and stuff. Kicking, you know, different <laughs> basketballs and baseballs around yeah, uh, Studio you Two. You guys had a. You guys had a good. You guys had a good life. We did. Now we you got a good life. Well, now you got to clean up. You got to sit up straight. Nobody gotta, understands I know. just how tedious it is. TV's hard. You have to look like a certain way every uh-huh. single day. I know. You have to Hair get Botox. Place, makeup, makeup, makeup is my Botox, liposuction. Botox, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spray tan. Spray tan. As for the golden brown. Manscaping. Like, Your get. spray tan looks fantastic, thanks, Brian. Thanks, bro. I, tried to, I told him to hold the orange, you know. He's oh, like gold. Hold the orange. Hey, uh, what are you guys talking about on your show today? We had a spirited conversation with uh, the managing editor for Campus Insiders yesterday. His name is Pete Futak. He's the guy that wrote the article in Scout.com about BYU football, yeah. their preview, saying that their season was over if right. they lost two games. You took him on. We had him on the show yesterday, and uh, it was enlightening, to say the least. I mean, he's a guy that clearly has strong opinions about things. Um, and one that I vehemently, uh, vehemently disagree with is his view on what a national ranking means. Huh. Uh, and I, went, I asked him yesterday straight up, so you're telling me that a— a conference championship in some small conference is, is greater than a top 15 ranking. And he says, well, it depends on what you want. He was defending that BYU has nothing to play for unless they can go to the New Year's Six. Huh. And, I mean, again, he made some valid points, but on the ranking thing, I just 100% disagree. So Brian and I are going to talk about the relevance and the importance of a national ranking specifically for BYU. That's Maybe cool. there are some people out there that don't think that it matters that much. Yeah. I don't know. I would love to hear their opinion and, <laughs> and why it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I want to hear the why. Yeah, the why. See, the why, the, you do it, you, everyone knows, you do it for big money. Yep. It's all about the money. Money plays <laughs> the <Yep>. factor. <laughs> the <laughs> only factor. It's the, that's why do we do this show? Money. Money. Time to get that money. Money, money. <laughs> that's exactly right. Is um is so that that's on the show. Is is that all you're talking about? No, you, you got I mean, a long that will, show. That will drive the early conversation. And the thing is, people were super fired up yeah. about his were interview they? yesterday. Like it started this Twitter war. Cool. Uh, I'm sad I missed, man. Around I, BYU, I listened, I listened in for the first few minutes, and then um, you know I forgot something happened, and then I can listen anymore. So. When I came in and heard that everybody was was fired up and you know was, was taking shots at him. Oh man! And he, the thing is, he was like it. It seriously became a debate on Twitter, and he was responding to all these BYU fans. Oh, who were like, "No, he was You're an idiot. 
Was he really? Oh, yeah. He was coming right back at him. <laughs> I love he, that. It was hilarious. That and is so, the best. Yeah. I thought, why not dive into sure. some of the specifics of this and really gauge just how important today, specifically, a national ranking is? It's almost like you just try to tick people off, <laughs> and then you stir the pot, and then it becomes a great show. You've discovered that's, the that's, secret that, to great media. Holy that's the formula. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> why haven't I known this? I just try to be everyone's friend, and it gets me nowhere. <laughs> Nice guys. You gotta make last. the people mad. Dude. I know. I know. I'm doing it now. Nice guys finish last. Now they I've got an first attitude. In, first in heaven. <laughs> first in heaven. Last on earth. Uh, well, guys, have a great show. You're going to see the, the angry, mean Matt from here on out. Okay. All right. We look forward to that. I hope you don't turn green. Uh, I, I'll try not to turn green. Hey, and by the way, uh, remember, I don't know is okay. the great. Yeah. Chinese. Where are you going to eat tonight, dude? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Perfect. Sounds good. We'll see you, it. kids. Have a good one. Yeah. Be good. That, uh, that's, that is the ticket, James, and that's something we don't do enough of. We need to tick more people off. I mean, other than our wives. <laughs> well, that, we do that. that. Becomes, that's really easy. But, I mean, that's just one person. That's just one Twitter fan. You literally don't have to do anything, and you can get your wife angry. But, That'd see, that, that really is – that is – so if you go look at all the big talk shows, that's what they're good at. The Sean Hannity's – the O'Reilly's, those guys just irritate a lot of people. Yeah, with just super extreme views, uh-huh. and they just stir the pot. We we need to try that more. We don't really have extreme views. I'll I'll think of some extreme views, like an extreme view. I mean, instead we just like talk about Shia LaBeouf and his great motivational approach, and I mean. You know what I think? I think we need to privatize the government. I think that— Oh, privatized government would be fantastic. Yeah, seriously. We need more privatization of the government. You need to outsource the government Mm -hmm. to to businesses, to organizations. To the highest bidder. Not a bad idea. They know how to run a successful company. Yeah. They know how to run a successful country. For sure. They've already been talking about TSA needs to be outsourced. Yep. We've already outsourced the postal system. Bada boom. I mean, it's in source, but it's out. It's great. If you disagree, you should tweet us. We could outsource the military. Yeah. I mean, you could just turn it over to LAPD. Well, we kind of do already. I mean, we all of the military uh, construction stuff, there's a lot of stuff we do overseas at China. Yeah. <gasps> we could outsource the Justice Department mm-hmm. to like some law firm that has a really good PR campaign. Yeah. Make a video about it. If you have any feelings about what we're talking about, tweet us at Dr. Matt Show. At Dr. Matt Show. Just any feelings. We're going to start a little frenzy. Outsourcing the government. Yeah. Just an idea. Anyway, we always like to end the show on a happier note. Uh, Who better or how better to do that than focusing on our hero of the day for the Matt Townsend Show, Steve Wells is a random stranger who changed a boy's life. Uh, Tanner Brownlee didn't know Steve Wells until the night of an incredible auction, and this is what happened. Tanner Brownlee lost his father, a Denver police officer, in the line of duty and uh, back in 2010. Since then, Tanner and his brother have been collecting every last memory of him that they can ho- get a hold of, including his jacket, his badges, and his pictures. One thing they wanted the most, though, was their father's old cop car. 
the Weld County Sheriff's Office auctioned off their father's old squad car as part of the fundraiser for COPS, Concerns of Police Survivors, an organization that provides relief and services for families who have lost officers in the line of duty. Tanner was eager to win the car, began saving all the money that he could so that he would be able to buy the car. He even started a GoFundMe page in an effort to raise enough money. He gave his best effort, but when the auction began, Tanner was quickly outbid. The final bidder was a rancher named Steve Wells who bought the car for $60,000. He signed over the money for the car. He was given the keys and uh, immediately turned those keys over to the little boy Tanner and put the keys in his hand, and the man told uh, Tanner, the officer's son that had died, that he deserved this car. So Steve Wells and Tanner Brownlee, they had never met before this night, but now it seems that they will never forget each other. That, my friends, is our hero of the day. Steve Wells threw down $60,000 for an auction for a car, so gave a ton to charity, right, and then gave the car to the little boy whose father uh, had once driven the car as a police officer. Folks, feel the good feeling about that? It's not just sappy goodness. That is the good in the world, and this show is, uh, our goal is to help bring it to you every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. Thanks for listening. Again, you can find us on podcast, or just go to our uh, Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. This is, uh, that's it. We're out of here. Thanks for joining us. Until tomorrow. We'll be back again. Take care, be safe, and make it a good one.